Hey, Lightning, you know what that sound is? Um, I'm assuming it's not bodily noises because we wouldn't start a show that way. I mean, we have. <laughs> yeah, we have. We just edited it out. I'm thinking that that is your new Milwaukee cordless impact driver. Yeah, I uh, I've already used it like ten times. A little the little uh, quarter hex one. Mm-hmm. I got the surge. So it's got that hydraulic thing. My package arrived the day after the show, uh-huh. and I just tore into those things, man. And then I couldn't stop myself, so I bought two more batteries. And then I bought the vacuum cleaner because my other vacuum cleaner sucked. And then my dad and I were doing some trim for a uh, for a closet. Uh, it was the old water heater closet we converted into like a utility closet. No, I'm talking about like moldings. Yeah, so we were cutting most of the dust everywhere on the floor of my garage. And I took my new Milwaukee 18 volt M18 vacuum like And my dad's like, "That's pretty cool." And I'm like, "Yeah, it is. Make more dust." It was awesome. <laughs> Well, well, we'd love to uh, like to welcome Milwaukee as a sponsor to the show. They've uh, been very kind Spe- to sign of, on. Speaking oh. of sponsors, oh wait, um, I was at a certain place uh, just the other day, yesterday, in fact, a place that you work. Oh and yes, I brought my Milwaukee and I took all the trim off of my windshield to fold it down so we can put a uh, an eye dash uh, gauge pod in there. I liked how uh, compact that your impact driver was because. I, as you saw from my recent Instagram and Facebook, I have destroyed my house. That's not and true because the last photo I saw looked like the floor had returned. That's true. I, I did put the the floor back to now, uh, did in you, a new state. It's now well, it's got the, well, why uh, the is it a flooring. Raised? Why is it a raised floor? What do you mean? Why is it a raised floor? Well, because, because my whole house is raised. Yeah, it's but old. There's like a loath point, and then you step up into the kitchen or something. Oh, like that. okay. Are you boxing in the? Did you? Was the old linoleum so disgusting that you had to box it in? It's like a um, uh, 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 sarcophagus <laughs> around your old floor so that the old linoleum couldn't leak out. Or no, something? no, nothing like that. Like a this nuclear is... power plant where they where they put the concrete around I, it when it's I done. I can't imagine this part's going to be very interesting for anyone listening. But you recall, uh, you you see my garage, my yeah. massive one car garage, so big, single car garage. And as you looked in, you remember there was a man door, right? Oh, yeah. To go, what in theoretically would be to go into the house. Right. Well, back in 1953 when they built this well, home, yeah, you have to leave your kitchen and hang a turn to get into your garage and go outside. That and is correct. Laundry was in an alcove between the two. That was outside. Uh, n- it was inside. But, but the previous owners made it inside. It was originally outside, and they no. didn't they make that room? So that- I, God knows what they did. But yeah. you, all these homes were made in 53, and they were all 800 square foot, and for whatever reason, you had to walk. If you're in the garage, you walk through a door, now you're in the backyard, then you immediately turn right and go into the house. Right. And I enclosed that area. Well, that area. Oh, so was, now you're the guy that enclosed that area. I enclosed it. Okay. Where do you? Where, where did the washer and dryer go now? They're still where they were before, which is in the alcove, kind of up on that step where I put the nice wood, where the wood hmm. flooring. That's where they go. All right. Well, so I enclosed that area. Now that area we just left. So you have 25 square feet cement. of extra kitchen space. Yeah, That's we do. Amazing. Ah, it made a pretty big closet's difference. bigger than that. And so if you guys, you probably don't follow me, uh, at LBC Lighting on the gram. I wouldn't. I wouldn't I either. do, but I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't advise it. Yeah. Uh, just a bunch of random stuff, as we've discussed on this show before. And uh, I did uh, a lot more flooring than I had anticipated. My freaking contractor, this happened twice in a row, on a Saturday afternoon. I am looking at your Instagram, and it appears you have no pictures. What happened? I saw, was that on Facebook? What are you talking about? I have no pictures. The pictures of the nice floor is gone. Is that on? Oh, maybe it was Facebook. Yeah. So I'm looking here and there's there's no way for me to uh, mm. delve into the uh, the wonder that is your new floor. You can friend me. I, I, 
am your friend. Well, so then go to Facebook then. I have to find it on Facebook, apparently. Oh, yeah, it's Jay Tillis, T-I-L-L-E-S. So this is the Truck Show Podcast, right? And I'm sure that they're interested in hearing my flooring the way that they Listen, are with your Dr. Pepper barbecue all sauce. All of your freaking flooring materials and construction materials came in a truck, right? They absolutely did. So let's keep going. Oh, okay. There's four layers of linoleum right. dating back to the 50s, I would imagine. Right. Right? It was the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and then the 80s. Nothing happened in the 90s or 2000s. God only knows. I don't know. But uh, it was disgusting, and it was, and it was not coming off. So I just keep, we're prying at it. We got chisels, the whole thing, and we cannot get this stuff up. And he says, oh, this might have a, asbestos. They used to use uh, oh. asbestos. And I'm like, huh. I don't care. It's coming up. Funny you mentioned that because I told you about my attic installation I recently did where I had to have asbestos abatement. And you're like, ah, ah, I, I, I scoffed at it and I didn't care. I said, don't tell anyone. We're ripping it up. We just told thousands of people. Whatever. They've okay. done the same thing. And so it's now like five o'clock. And I, we're discussing how are we going to get this stuff out. I said, we need to pull up this plywood. All right, so on these homes, they use uh, a one-inch by six-inch wide wood slats. I think they're redwood. God only knows what they were back then. And they all go diagonally across the house, across the two-by-sixes. And they're under there, under, under a sheet of like three-eighths-inch plywood. And as I start prying up the plywood, I'm like, help me. Let's pull up all this plywood. We'll start fresh. We'll put new plywood. And he goes, yeah, that's a good idea. And you know what he does? He hands me a crowbar, and bales. This happened two Saturdays in a row. That was your contractor. That's my contractor. He's he, like, he we're, putting in, we're putting in the flooring on, on Monday. I'll see you then. He Did you not pay him for demo? I, I did, but I don't. he doesn't work Sundays. <laughs> and, and he's like, we're coming on Monday to put the flooring in. I go, well, this Can needs to be done. Can I come work for you? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. I just and feel I was like, here, you do all the work. Freaking killing myself. So my whole kitchen, mm. I ripped down to... Those uh, slats, yeah. right? Yeah. Raised foundation. Yep. Then I put all new, uh, all new plywood down. Yeah. And then I did the same to the same exact thing happened the Saturday afterwards, where I go, "This has got to come up." And he goes, "Okay." And he this time, oh, it's a trip. He hands me this time. First, it was a red crowbar. Yes. This time, it's a yellow crowbar. Was it more used than the other uh, crowbar? Yeah, beat up. Yeah, he's like, you wrecked the red one. Here's the yellow one. No, these are these were stout crowbars. Like these were heavy. And it he hands been to me. If he's handing you tools, wouldn't it have been better if he handed you the keys to a Nissan Titan so that you could haul away all that crap that you pulled out of your house? I could have used it, dude. I could have used it because I didn't take a truck home from work, and I was. So you piled it in your driveway. Didn't no, you? I made. I did make him take it. I made him well, haul gee, it away. It's amazing. You paid him to do a job, and then you made him do it. Well, it was weird. It was like we paid him to do the flooring, but I guess it's we didn't specify like an idiot. I didn't say, well, did you, you must sign- take it down to the studs. Didn't you sign a contract? It's all in there, point by point. Usually tells you exactly the scope of work and everything. No, it's pretty much handshake. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I mean, well, it really uh, was kind of handshake-ish. All right. Uh, I don't know. I mean, he's done great work. He did everything other than the flooring. He's done everything that he wanted, you know, that we, we asked him to do, and he was really quick about it. Um, happy quick with isn't the cabinetry always good. And, no, but the quality is fine. You know, I'm a stickler. You know me, and uh-huh. uh, but it was it's okay. I don't plan did he on hanging the, the rest of my life and uh, say install this. No, he did not. Well, he did good. not hang me. A, 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 he didn't hand me a cabinet. Did uh, Adam Carolla show up and uh, bust him for uh, leaving you hanging? What are you doing, handing me a crowbar? No, you owe him a thousand dollars. Now we kind of sound like Jay Leno and meets Adam Carolla. Yeah, we, very, we don't we don't uh, do him. Yeah, I know. Uh, so yeah, I, I spent the last two uh, full Saturdays and Sundays demoing my my own kitchen, and then I also 
uh, busted holes in walls and ceilings to do surround sound. Uh, had my 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 roof, as you know, yeah. has the the craziest sh- shallowest pitch ever. Yeah. It's probably four one degrees. degrees. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's got to be four or five degrees tops. The problem is that it's only one degree, and when the house settles, now you have flat spots where all the water... Uh, <laughs> so I get the, I get my kid up there, and he can barely snake through over the, the duct work, and then under the duct work... Oh, in to, the attic? Yeah, because someone had done uh, AC. Yeah. Uh, the, the previous owner had, mm-hmm. had put I don't AC have in AC. there. We need to, I need you to need to do, to do AC. Yeah. You got to do AC in Southern California. So anyway, we I, I, he snaked up there, pulled the wires through, and we did all that. And so it's, it's I, as of recording this now. Yeah. He, this morning we paid him the final check. We're done. When will you be cooking in your kitchen? I think she, I think the wife might have made dinner tonight that I missed. That seems uh, apropos. Uh huh. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that sounds like a busy week. I uh, let's see. Uh, uh, I feel like we're on the theme of uh, house improvements. Uh, I had my electrical panel replaced, so I uh, had a 200 amp service put in, and they took down the uh, drop line from the main power wire to the house and found it uh, literally hanging by a wire. It I saw your Instagram, and yeah. it was a single, strand a single strand of a multi-stranded cable uh, that had clearly had been arcing at some point, and uh, we just had a wind, you know, wind conditions the last few days. So if we wouldn't have caught that when we were doing the new panel, uh, you know, who, God knows it could have been in the backyard, live wire sitting there, and be my three-year-old goes, "Dad, what's this?" And yeah. then that could have been a problem. That's so crazy. Glad we caught it. Yeah. Uh, and then tomorrow, the uh, the contractor comes to uh, paint the house, to start prepping and water blasting and wood prep and get all the rod out and uh i unlike you uh, paid him to do the job and have a contract yeah it's weird i did not expect to have to do some of his work but uh, maybe what i was asking was just above and beyond because he was expecting just to lay down his yeah. his flooring it's, over whatever was there and i not, was like no I, I, he i've was, had you've seen i've done all the floors in my house no i know that's beautiful gorgeous job and i think he was just ready to do an earl scheib you know yeah. i'll paint any car 99.95 I, I don't care what base coat it has <laughs> right and uh do they have earl scheib around the country uh, they did. Do they? I don't know if they okay. still do. Is it like a Mako one day thing? Something like that. Anyway, uh, and I'm like, that's not that's not cool, dude. You got to rip this up. Let's start fresh and be glass smooth. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, sanded piece well, of looks plywood. Good. Looks good. So, yeah, it worked out all right. Sorry for the home talk, guys. This is a weird way to start uh, Truck Show Podcast number, are we 163? 163. 163. Officially. Some big news. The stadium tour with Def Leppard, Motley Crue, nope. Poison, well, and Joan well, Jett is coming much soon. Too much non-truck talk. We, oh, really? We, we, yeah, if we're going <laughs> to get into uh, truck talk, we, uh, we should start with our sponsors. So uh, Nissan! Yep, got to thank Nissan. Uh, for supporting the show. If you're interested in a uh, half-ton or a mid-sized truck, you can check out the Titan or the Titan XD with a five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. You can check out the uh, the new Frontier with the 3.8-liter V6, 310 horsepower, and the new nine-speed automatic. Do we know if they're making uh, smoking deals on those right now? Because we've got the I new one I would imagine. Coming. The new one's going to be out at the end of summer. Okay, well, if, so. uh, since we don't know, we're putting it on you. you got to call the dealership. Call Nissan, your local dealer, and go, I heard you're dealing just you know, like do the presumptive just close, tell them right? The, the truck show podcast reported that the uh, great deals on current generation Nissan Frontier. Good call, uh, and of course the uh, commercial line of vans, the NVs, which are uh, awesome because uh, the big ones are body on frame, like a real truck. Have we seen a uh, a bagged and body dropped one yet? Uh, you always say that, but I don't know. <laughs> that. Oh, I think you saw a slammed NV two hundred, which is the little guy, uh-huh. and it it tickled you in places that made you uh, giggle. Yeah, I won't say where it tickled me, but yes, it that would I would be something that I would love to see, but not more than a uh, a slammed frontier. 
You and I talked about that off air. Mm -hmm. And that's something I'm very, very interested in. Hmm. Because you know what? Like guys hit our age and they do the uh, they do the exotic. They do the, the sports Is car. Is it really our, our age? It's any age probably. No, I just mean do you uh, group you and I in the same You've got more gray group. hair than I do, homie. Uh, no, I only have more gray hair because I have a beard. If you grew that out, yeah. dude, you would be gray. You'd be you'd be Santa Jay. You sure about that? Oh yeah. Uh, I'm oh, barely yeah. barely ahead of you. Mm. My point is, uh-huh. my point is, is that this is the time that the guys get the little two door sports car and that yeah. whole thing, right? That's not what I want to do. Right. You want to get a my midlife prices, truck and then make it uh, resemble a sports car. No, 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 no. I want to get a new Frontier. I'm not joking about this. In all seriousness, well, if I can pull summer. this off, what you have to wait till summer. Fine, but not, I can. But I can not wait. out yet. I realize that I'm working on this other project that you guys are following, but I'm dead serious that if I can get my hands on a Frontier, I would take it with zero miles uh-huh. right to Fat Fabs. Now, I wouldn't get the Pro 4X model, of course. I would get a two-wheel drive because that would be insane. Why would I put a, a four-wheel drive on the ground? Because you want to uh, rile people up with awesomeness? No, that's true. I might do that. But I think probably I would just go for the more economical solution and go for the two-wheel drive and just slam that sucker on some big fat wheels. How, how sick would that be? That would be my, my... You want a work truck version with a with wheels that are a quarter of the price of the vehicle? I'm telling you, yes. Okay. I'm telling you that if, if, if Nissan is listening... They do, by the way. I know that. I'm, I'm absolutely dead serious about this. I want to mm-hmm. make a show truck, a, a, a quasi-retro mini show truck... Out of a brand new Why frontier. are you telling everybody the plans that hopefully nobody else is thinking about? What is wrong with you? Yeah, it's a bad idea. All right. Anyway, uh, you're going to have to wait. And uh, until then, you can tide yourself over at NissanUSA.com or head down to your local dealer and check out what Nissan has today. I'm going to put a deck system in the back. What are you going to put in the deck system? You know what I'd put in? What? Strips of Delron, like long strips. Think of, uh, remember when Why? you were a kid? Oh, listen. Remember when you were a kid mm-hmm. and you had a skateboard and you didn't know that the uh, the, the rails yeah. weren't – because the rails were lame. We just didn't know it. Right. Like the real skaters didn't use rails. Right. They would just grind on the on the wood. No, right? I had a Schmidt stick that had that laminate layer on the whole bottom of it. Okay. Yeah, but you ground that away anyway. But but we got – we had the like the nylon rails. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So I want to take that same concept mm-hmm. for the rails and I want to put it on the bottom of the frame, on the chassis of my Frontier. So when I tuck the wheels and I lay frame while I'm still like going down the street, it's like uh, doing rail slides. It will rail slide on the street. So you're doing hashtag frame rail slides. Frame rail slide. It would just go, and it would turn sideways, and I just lose control, and it would just spin slowly, like a top. You know what I would do? I would take uh, the Nissan Frontier with the deck system in the back, and you know how you can get like the uh, scissor beds that come up and dance. Sure. I would cut the uh, the floor out of the bed and have the deck system come up and dance and then tuck itself back into the bed. I'm in. I'm totally in. And then there's buttons that shoot drawers out, you know, and they suck <laughs> them back in and just do wild, like, uh, deck party in this the This could be the, 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 the most ridiculous sponsor plug we've ever done. It's uh, it's, uh, it's up there. <laughs> hey, uh, did you notice uh, that today is, uh, is the beginning of March? It's a new month. Yeah. Okay. Well, that means that uh, we get to talk about something new with Duralast. And I was thinking that uh, our show has been so smooth lately that we should probably talk about the uh, Duralast shocks and loaded struts. Good one. 
Good tie in there. Thank you. You like that? <laughs> no. You were wondering how I was going to get into that, didn't <laughs> yeah, were you? It was, I was uh, a little awkward, but sure. No, I wasn't awkward at all. We're, uh, we're, we're pimping our friends over at Duralast Parts, and they have uh, over 900 application-specific parts available that cover over 98% of vehicles on the road. And wow. You, and you can get either a monotube or twin tube. Uh, for vehicles that came with twin tube uh, as standard, you can get a monotube upgrade. The uh, Duralast shocks are designed to improve handling, stability, braking performance, and restore the vehicle to original ride quality. They match the OE design for vehicles equipped with either monotube or twin tube shocks. Yes. And you can find all that and more at DuralastParts.com. And your local AutoZone. That's right. Cued you right up. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck truck rides with the truck show we have the lifted we have the lowered and everything in between we'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline the truck show the truck show the truck show it's the truck show with your hosts lightning and holman Oh, but it's been a minute since we've spoken to our friend Ben Palmer up there in Oregon. Let's see. Uh, a, we were in a different studio. And oh, it's that long ago. B, he had a different job. He had a different... No, he had 406 Garage. Mm, well, he was working for AEV at the time. Oh, so 406 was a side hustle. Uh, I'm just saying. So uh, now he's got uh, the 406 thing. And, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, people have said, hey, you guys don't do enough, you know, Toyota stuff or you guys don't do enough whatever. Well... Nobody ever says you don't do enough international stuff, but damn it, <laughs> we are here to surprise and delight with all sorts of international uh, content right here on the Truck Show Podcast. You know what, Holman? I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we're givers. And you know what you and I do when we're done giving? Uh, we take a nap. No. <laughs> we give some more. Oh, we keep giving? Yeah, we keep and giving. then we take a nap. That's exactly Let's right. Let's call Ben. All right. What's going on, guys? Hello, is this uh, one Mr. Ben Palmer from 406 Garage? You have reached him. His voicemail box is full currently. Uh, I was going to say then if uh, this is Ben Palmer, we were looking for somebody else. We're going to hang up now. All right, see ya. Bye, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> What's up, dude? Long time no talk. Hey, wait, wait. He's not allowed to talk yet. He, uh, well, first, Ben, you have to decide on an intro. Do you want reggae no. or do you want uh, old timey also say no reggae or old timey say no to both no no you got to choose one both guinea pig intros uh, uh, they're rarely used because they're both so bad choose one just say just say old timey old timey's fine yeah here we go right. what's in the shop what's in the shop just what's in your shop a segment where handsome guys talk about your build Crazy consumption that'll keep the Time for some shop talk. You love that. What? what don't you, sing the jingle that we already heard you singing. <laughs> ben, uh, does it meet your approval? I, thumbs up. Or I, thumbs I up? love you guys, but that is that. That's awful. I told you. <laughs> all right, all right, Ben. Just because it's you and we love you, ask for reggae now. Reggae, all round right. two. All right, you're gonna be sorry. You know what we need, man? Shop talk. Shop talk. Shop talk. 
Shop Talk. Turn that wrench side to side. What you gonna build? You can't hide. We wanna share what you built with all our friends. How much you tell us, it all depends. Shop Talk. Shop Talk. Shop Talk. I love it. I don't. <laughs> I love it so much. Can, can I just point out something? What's that? It's at least 20 Shop Talks too long. <laughs> it's at least. Ben, what do you think of the reggae version? Yeah, I was going to say, that the words are more applicable because I'm sitting in my shop right now. Yeah. But I'm with Sean. Both of those are too long. And terrible. And, Dude, and awful. we, we yes. do three-hour shows. How's the jingle too freaking long? Because this makes it four hours. <laughs> all, all the other jingles that have been on for three years are half that long. Now, Ben, let's uh, refresh uh, for our listeners. Did you... we call the hater hotline? Is that what just happened? Hey, we're, we're trying to <laughs> we're trying to have a podcast here, lady. Okay. All right, go ahead. Uh, let's refresh everybody's mind. You are one of our original listeners, and uh, this is yes. your second appearance. Day one, day one, and I think I've been on the show three in different forms, three or four times, something like that. Has it been that many times? Dang. Yeah, well, he was here for our 500-something-or-other meetup, and then he went yep. to the bar down the street with us. Yep. And, uh, and then uh, also yep. at the old studio when he worked for AV, brought a uh, 1,500 recruit with him. And he had ants crawling all and over him. Lots of ants. <laughs> and we ate pizza and breadsticks and candy. That, which is probably <laughs> why we had ants. Yep. <laughs> so uh, we started this segment by talking about how much we love to give, and we will admit that we don't always cover the topics that our listeners are, uh, are are hoping for. And so we have people say, well, you don't do enough lowered trucks, or you don't do enough off-road trucks, or you don't do enough Toyotas, or you don't do enough Ram Chargers. And nobody ever has said you don't do enough international. So we are going to surprise and delight with you, my friend. <laughs> well, I think that's great. I saw a few people, when you guys did your live stream the other day, there was a few people that posted up asking about international content. And I think a couple times when you guys have posted things, people have asked for it. I only noticed it because, of course, that's what we do. So I pay attention to that. And, and, and it was also about, you. It was you. <laughs> it, 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 well, it might have been me. I mean, allegedly. I don't know. I could have been under a different screen name. But... Uh, and then anytime I see Peterbilt or heavy-duty truck stuff, I always key in on that because you guys need to talk about that someday, too. Heck, yeah. Long nose Pete. Let's do it. Yes. It's we're, been, we're building one of those right now. I know. I, <laughs> I, I'm excited. I need a ride in it. Uh, you're more than welcome. It will be, I think, last time I talked to them, we're talking late April, early May. It should be ready, and I'm going to look at the new trailer next week. Is that the trailer so you can fit... 18 international scouts stacked <laughs> like cordwood on the back of it and hauled no, back up to Oregon. A, uh, a friend of mine who lives in Idaho who hauls a lot of cars and has several cool semi trucks. He has, uh, there's a company called Cottrell and there's another company called Sun Country. And they both make a trailer where it's basically a 53 foot flatbed trailer with a wedge on the back. And on the front of the trailer, it's got hydraulics. So you can have it all flat or you can tilt one car up in the front and you can tilt the second car up and you can still put like three underneath. That's so cool. it's not a traditional car trailer, big, big car trailer where they've got the big arc where they're on top, but you can actually put a couple on the front and tip them up at 45 degrees. So you can get three extra more behind them. And we assume you have your class a 
Class A, CDL, and uh, yes, the, all the all the insurances and all the fees, and that's a whole other story. Will but you yeah, I, also carry at uh, 15,000 pounds above your gross vehicle weight rating, like our friend Renee? <laughs> uh, no. So this truck will be licensed for 80,000, so I will never, ever even come close to that. I mean, so that's that's basically a typical semi-load going down the road. Yeah, yeah, and with with I'll be running four to five trucks on the trailer. Truck and trailer by themselves weigh roughly thirty one, thirty two thousand, and I'll probably put another twenty five to thirty thousand on. So I'll probably only be around sixty on my heavy days. And so, why? What's the point of having this other than the fact that it's cool? I, I mean, are you really moving that many internationals these days? I it's it's ironic. So. I get the call more often than not in the last couple of years of people who just have, for lack of a better term, a collection or hoard. So I bought a, I bought a group of trucks from a guy uh, on East, in eastern Idaho last summer, and he had 17 oh, man. internationals. I bought a group out of, of Montana last year, and that was 11 in one location. So to hire a truck driver to haul on a full 10-car trailer is expensive, and to haul 10 cars that don't run is twice as expensive. So I kind of just did the math, and uh, it, it pencils for me to do it myself. I only run about six or seven loads a year, and then the wintertime we work on trucks. So, And you've got quite the like- uh, setup up there at uh, 406 Garage. We, uh, yeah, we really have escalated the last two years. (laughs) Before you get into that, I'm dying to know what a trailer like that costs. Is that, is that brand new or? No, no, no. So I'm buying this. The one I'm looking at is a 2001 and he just sandblasted it, had it painted, put new brakes and lights and DOT stickers and put new tires and wheels. A trailer like that new is anywhere between 50 and 75,000 and the used ones are usually around 15 to 25,000. Okay, so he's in the 15 to 20K range. That is right in the middle of my new roof. Yeah. You got a trailer or a roof? You Uh need a roof a lot more than you need a trailer. I've got the new roof. It looks nice. Gotcha. It's the uh, attic insulation with the asbestos uh, mitigation that is going to... Yeah, what's that? A couple more grand that cost you just the other day, didn't it? Cha-ching, (laughs) cha-ching. Yeah. Yeah, That's money I could be spending with uh, Ben Palmer at 406, getting the uh, (laughs) one-owner vintage, untouched, unmolested... Pristine condition, barn find, garage find, uh, scout of my dreams. We we have we've had several of those in pickups and travel halls. Not many. Uh, we haven't had too many one owner barn find scouts, but we do we do get a few from time to time. Which is fascinating to me because I would think the barn find would be the scout, not the truck. You'd think the truck would get more use out on the farm, but the trucks are sort of like the best kept secret right now. Uh, there's suddenly starting to become a nice little international market for people that want something different than your typical Ford, Chevys, the, the Dodges or, you know, the Ds are getting uh, expensive. And then all of a sudden people realize those weren't the only three trucks that were out there in that era. It's- well, are you talking about like the 100 or the, the D200 or what, what's, the, what's the one that there's more of out there? For the internationals? Yeah. The two most popular ones you see the most of is the C-Series and the D-Series. The C-Series is the more rounded, earlier style. That's 1961 to 1968. And then the D-Series, D as in dog, is 1969 to 1975. And those are referred to as the square bodies. That's what we do the most of. So, you know, I've been looking at your Instagram at 406 Garage, and I've been noticing 
the the quality of vehicles you've been able to find lately. And now, is that just from the Pacific Northwest, or are you looking all over the country? Um, so I can tell you all the states that we bought trucks from in 2020 would be Oregon, Washington, Idaho, California, Wyoming, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, North and South Dakota, and Nebraska. Typically, we kind of stay in the belt of Oregon, Idaho, Montana, North and South Dakota, and Wyoming. That's kind of like our, that's our area that we know the best. And that's, I, I have a lot of friends in Montana. We, I used to live there for a long time. Obviously, that's where the 406 comes from. That's the area code for Montana. And uh, plan to retire there someday. But I have a lot of friends there, and, and we have a, you know, a lot of people that will just call us and say, hey, I, I know where this is, or I know where this is. And in this last year, we got our, you know, our website and our Instagram has really taken off quite a bit. And we're really having a lot of people from all over just reach out to us. Um, a lot of the really nice trucks that we found this last year were directly related to people finding us on the web, finding us on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, and just calling us up and saying, hey, I've got this really great truck. Would you guys be interested? And so that's, you know, that's been a really nice position to be in, to have people seeking us out instead of having to, because, you know, Craigslist is a dying website. We don't look at that anymore. Facebook Marketplace is where everybody is, but if it's on Facebook Marketplace, it's probably been bought or sold two or three times already. Production ended in 1975. and For the for the trucks and travel halls, yeah. Yeah. The scouts ran all the way to 80. So there was only about 6,000 trucks and travel halls made. There's not that many of them out there. Are you finding them hard to find? And what is the? Um, he, by the way, he has them all. Well, he might. <laughs> what is the draw? There's like, only there's only fifty or sixty at the shop right now. That's all. Whoa, that's, that is well. Uh, that's I, a big percentage. I'm looking of them. at your inventory on your website, and it's just. It, I keep scrolling and scrolling. Now, granted, you're teasing me with many of them because they have a sold banner on them, uh, but the prices that you're selling these for seem low. And I we'll get back to the prices in a minute. Yeah, I, I want to find out what's the draw to international when you're talking to your customers or even yourself. You're an enthusiast, but you especially have gravitated toward the international side. And it seems like you might be one of the only people in the country that's really doing it well. It's a very small community. It is. And I think that the thing about internationals, there's two things. One thing I would say is, Anytime you talk to somebody about an international, everybody that has an international or sees an international usually has a story about one. Their grandpa, their grandma, their father, their brother, their sister, their aunt, their uncle, somebody's farm they grew up on, whatever. Every time somebody has one of these things, they have a story, and it, which is, for me, is fascinating because the stories and the history, if it's not passed on from one person to another verbally, especially with these old timers, the story and the history of the truck is gone. It's lost, you know, and that's, that's tragic. There's a lot of trucks and vehicles out there that nobody knows the history on it. I mean, famous muscle cars, you can, you know, re research the history based on the VIN number and then ID tags and stuff like that, but not the stories. And I think also the other reason, and you know, it's why I like them, but it's why a lot of people like them. And it's something you talked about a little bit ago, Sean is Ford, Chevy, Dodge. Every time you go to cars and coffee, you go to a get together, you go to the, somebody's shop night or whatever, Everybody's got an awesome Tri-5 Chevy or a killer early Bronco or a Toyota Land Cruiser or a lowered C10 or whatever. Everybody has those. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. There, you know, There's tons and tons of beautiful trucks out there. When I show up or when people show up with an international, a lot of times when you show up, you got the only one. And there's a lot to be said for having the only one. Even if it's not the coolest truck there, it's a lot of times it's really fun because you have the only truck and everybody wants to hear about it, hear the story and be you know inquisitive basically about it because it's different. People like being different. 
So what was the deal back in the day when somebody had the ability to buy a, a, a Dodge, a Chevy, a Ford? What, why international? And was it because it was mostly in agricultural areas where they had trucks or tractors? Was it a, a different just vibe from the company? What was the drawback then? I mean, only 6,000 were made. That's not very many. And I don't think I know the full history behind international getting into the automotive market. I don't know all the details of what started them, but I can tell you that they started back in the teens building automobiles and trucks. So they, if you go back, like um, a good friend of mine, Jeff Ismail, owns a place called IH Parts America, which is in Grass Valley, California. Yep. Little plug for him. Um, great we should guy. have him you, on. Absolutely you, should have you, him on. You absolutely should have him on because he knows a tremendous amount of history and he has a tremendous collection as well. And he is one of the number one go-to guys. That's who we buy probably 75% of the parts we use to restore these trucks, that's who we buy from. And then he buys the trucks from you to take them apart and sell them back to you? <laughs> he, uh, no, he buys the trucks from us to build in his restoration shop to sell to customers that don't want to do full turnkey builds. Even better. That's a good relationship yes. to have. He's, he's, he's been here a few times. I've been there a few times. I actually was just there recently. Um, anyway, getting so getting back to what was, you know, what was the... the the draw, I guess, I don't know that they advertise these definitely to farmers and ranchers because they already had a, a tractor and they had an implement and they had a piece of farm equipment, but you know, international made appliances, they made vehicles, they made farm equipment, they made freezers, they made ovens, they made refrigerators, they made everything. They made, you know, uh, hit miss motors back in the thirties during the depressionary era. So, um, this company has really covered all bases. I think that Truly, though, the, the trucks and the travel halls and stuff, what was good and bad was they were built really tough. So they used a lot of the most robust parts, um, meaning like their three-quarter ton trucks were definitely more like a one-ton truck as far as what they were doing. And I think they had a lot of forward thinking. Unfortunately, because they used a lot of really higher-end parts and more durable parts, their trucks were a lot more expensive. And I think that is, you know, in my personal opinion, I can't tell you because I don't work for the company, but in my personal opinion, I think that was one of their downfalls. They were expensive and they kind of priced themselves out of the market at a certain point. I think it's also important to note on the, uh, I guess it was the the 1300Ds and the 1500Ds on those heavier duty trucks, they didn't even offer uh, automatic transmission. So it was like a man's truck, right? And they even offered, were they, I don't know if they were one of the first, but you could, if, if I'm not wrong, get just a ca- like basically a chassis cab, bare frame, oh, yeah. put whatever you yeah. want on the back. And I think that was relatively novel back then. I have a, yeah, I have a dealer ordering book here from 1969, 1970, what the, the dealers actually used to order the trucks from the factory. And you could order it with a service body. You could order it with a flatbed. You could order it with a hail bed, a hay bale bed. You could order it with a tanker on the back. You could have just a cab chassis and outfit it when you got to the dealership, whatever you want. And the crazy thing was, is they had, you know, six or eight paint colors, but you could request a special paint color and they'd paint it whatever color you want. They didn't care. International was, they catered to anybody. Um, uh, except for people with good taste in 1970, because as much as I love the internationals, man, that's an ugly grill. You don't like the 69 and 70 grill Ooh. with the floating grill bar in the center? No, I'm a big fan of like the 74, 75 grill or the old metal grills. I think those are pretty okay. cool. But the floating bar was never uh, not my cup of tea. That one's a little on the uh, on the ugly side. Okay, 
Fair enough. That happens to be my favorite grill, but that's okay. I mean, I love it, Ben. I love it as much as I love you being a listener of the Truck Show podcast. It <laughs> tickles me in places that I shouldn't be tickled, but it, um, it makes me smile. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Good recovery like uh, that. Do you think he bought it? Uh, no, he didn't buy it at oh, all. Okay. Saw right through it. I think one of the great things about these trucks, too, as far as you guys, you were asking about evolution and how they were built and things like that was these trucks in the front were all leaf sprung until 74 and 75 and the leaf spring mounts are the same whether they put an i-beam or a dana 44 front axle in the front and every one of these trucks when it was going down the assembly line had a two-wheel drive transmission with a divorced transfer case if it was four-wheel drive super easy so every yeah so every truck they made could be two-wheel or four-wheel with just a cross member an extra drive shaft a 205 case and put a bolt a different axle in the front so consequently, later on down the road, we can make two-wheel drive trucks, four-wheel drive for people for relatively inexpensive nowadays. Now, did they have a short bed or were they all long beds? No, they did have short bed. I've got two of them here right now. And how much are those? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've got a 65 short wide with the original V8 in it with uh, not many listeners that are young will know this, but a three on the tree. Yes. That would be um, a three gear shifter on the column three mm-hmm. on the tree yeah i actually have Manual. a 65 short wide here original paint two owner truck uh from originally from portland oregon was sold at Bizio motors it has fifty six thousand actual miles original interior original paint and you could jump in it and drive it to los angeles and uh you know what i'm hearing lightning i'm hearing you guys need to take one of my trucks on a road trip that's what i'm hearing I'd just fly in and just take one out for a few days and come back and film it and do a podcast I'm all about it. I mean, that sounds pretty good. All I'm right, all if, about it. If uh, you, I, dude, you can get Southwest flights right now for ninety nine dollars. What I'm saying is, I'm in. You're in. Hey, um, if I wanted to exchange money with you at some point, is there a fr- family and friends discount? Absolutely, military discount too. Good to know. But you, neither of us are in the military. No, but we are friends. And uh, no, we've, we've, we've sold several trucks to military guys, and we've given them discount on every one. So gotcha. it's been well, we got a lot of military guys listening, so if uh, you're in the market Absolutely. for an international. Uh, hey, Ben, we were talking about stories. What interesting story stuck with you the longest about whether it's a scout or a travel all? I, there's got to be one that, that sticks out in your head where one of the guys in his 40s said, my grandfather – Anything uh, of note? There's a truck that we actually just bought this last fall, which we kind of deemed the ultimate barn find truck. The story of that truck, I got to meet the gentleman who built the truck, and that story was pretty great. It was a little near and dear to my heart the more I found out about it. Um, and this, I, I'm not making this up at all, but the gentleman had bought it from the original owner, and he bought it back in the 80s. And this gentleman was a mechanical engineer for the first 20, almost 20 years of his life. And then changed gears midlife and decided to become a Votech instructor, as Sean and I love. And I know you do too, Jay, the Votech guys. Mm -hmm. Became a Votech instructor at the local college. And his plan was to work until he was 60 and retire and move to Alaska. And he was going to take this truck that he was going to build. And it was going to be his everyday driver truck. And he was going to build a boat to go fishing in for the rest of his life off his cabin or whatever. So the funny thing about this truck was that it was sold new in Montana, 30 miles from where I used to live. And then the gentleman that put the engine and transmission in it for him was a place called McGee's Auto Electric in Lake Oswego, Oregon. That's the first place I ever got a job at when I was 14 years old. And the sticker's still on the uh, radiator fan shroud on this truck. So That's that was awesome. a little ironic. <laughs> Is that the so green this- one with the green on the side? 
Yeah, it's actually a, a blue, bluish green. Oh, okay. It's, okay. It's white and bluish green. We actually sold it. It's going to Durango, Colorado here in about three weeks. Awesome. I remember but, when you uh, picked it up and you're like, you won't even believe this one owner truck that I found. It's so pretty. It's crazy. It, well, it's two owner truck, but yeah. He tore it down to the frame and his students, uh, he used it in class and his students helped him sandblast it and, you know, do the frame and every nut and bolt washer on that. And they pulled the whole body off. He had a 500 Cadillac motor built for it. Everyone's like, why'd you put a Cadillac motor in? Because it made a ton of torque and a ton of horsepower for not a lot of money. And back uh, in the day. that's the benefit of being a Voc Ed teacher is free labor. Uh-huh. But wait, what's the end so, of this story then? Because So the story was he, he built that truck and he got it all done except for he basically got it done to the point where he needed to put glass, carpet, headliner, basic little things, tailgate, a couple of little trim pieces here and there. Nothing major. Just basically was done. Brought it home in 1993, put it in the garage, and then his wife got sick. She got cancer, and he had to postpone his work and had to work another 10 years. And then the truck sat, and the truck sat, and the truck sat. And by the time he got back to the truck, he his wife had passed away, and he now has cancer and is short-lived, unfortunately. And the truck never got finished. And he called us and said... I want you to buy this truck. I want you to finish it and enjoy it or finish it and pass it on to somebody that will appreciate it. That's awesome. And literally he brought it home. It has 10 miles on it since he built the whole truck. <laughs> and the last time he licensed it and the plates are still on it was 1993. Wow. So it was completely restored, completely finished, turnkey, new in 93, and then never left his garage for 27 years. Basically became a time capsule. Yeah. Yeah, Literally. Did you find anything in it from that year? Like, was there any paperwork or? Oh, there's receipts from the engine. There's receipts from the um, the registration and things like that. Here was a newspaper in there. There was all kinds of boxes. I asked him when we first got there, it was missing a bunch of little pieces. So we're trying to go through his garage to find all the parts and pieces. And I said, hey, where's the, where's the side glass and the wing windows and the back window and the sun visors? And he's like, oh, no, it's in this box, in this box, in this box. And I'm, I'm just terrified because glass you know i'm assuming in his garage it's gotten broken over 27 years so we pull out the box slide the glass out not only is it brand new glass still it's factory tinted i've never even seen factory side tinted glass from the manufacturer so is that and new old in, stock that he had picked up or was that actual no, that's the crazy that's what i said i go is this new old stock he's like well no he said in 1989 i went into the dealership and i bought this stuff i just <laughs> oh never put it in the truck <laughs> Because wow. in 89, the truck was only 15 years old. You could still buy glass and seals new over the counter at the parts department. From International? From International, because the dealerships were still there. Wow. So it was like, it was new old stock, but it wasn't. He he bought it new, and it just sat in his garage for 27 years. So we put brand new glass, brand new wing windows, brand new seals that were all soft and perfect right out of the box. And we kept the boxes because they still have the labels and stuff on them. So I would say so far of all the trucks that we've, we've found and stories we've heard that this is just, the man was just an amazing, and he's still alive. I've, I talked to him. I've sent him pictures. I told him we sold it. He's super excited. He said, have the guy call me if he wants to. I'd love to tell him the story. Cause the guy that bought awesome. it really wants me to type out the whole story in an email. So he has it all for the history how, of the truck. How rare is that, that you actually not only hear the story of the classic that you bought, but the story comes from the guy who owned it and loved it and wants to pass that history down to the new owner. I feel like there's... It's, there's, it's super rare. It's almost yeah. always a wife, a widow, yeah. a grandson, a brother, a yep. sister. Uh, it, it, we, 
we usually get a pretty accurate story, but it's very rarely that it's from per se the horse's mouth, you know? And, and so I got to shake this guy's hand and meet him and he's just a wonderful man. I mean, I, that's got a lot to do with the age of the truck because if it were a truck built in the eighties or something, then the guy's still alive most likely, but you're talking yeah. about 50s, 60s, et cetera. Uh, that's a generation gone. Basically. Yeah, this guy was is he's still alive. Uh, Phil's Philip is his name. He's eighty one. It's the thing I think about a lot is when you look back on your life, a loved one's life, just everything. Think of everything that's happened since, let's say, like the eighteen fifties, industrial revolution, um, especially everything that happened since World War One, even World War Two, advancements in technology, a simpler life, all those things. That's literally only like five generations of people. Like we're really early into this kind of stuff. And we're lucky to be alive where the car revolution, the truck revolution of the 40s, 50s, 60s, firsthand accounts are still available for those vehicles that are 50, 60, 70 years old. Those people are yeah. still around. And, and I wish we did a better job of recording the history of that stuff because- once we're gone, everybody else is going to be at least one or two generations mm. removed, and they may never know the stories of those things. Well, I remember when I was talking to my great grand, great great grand, wait, great grand, I don't know, one of them. I don't know how many greats to tack onto this thing, but at the time, he was 101 years old. This is back in the uh, late 80s or so. And when he was born, it was basically still horse and buggy. And he had lived through horse and buggy, car, airplane, all the way to the dawn of the internet. Like, oh, I can't. That's an amazing I can't even trip. wrap my head around. You know, we're like, oh, yeah, well, we have TikTok. You know, we're like, there's there's no comparison to what he, ex he, he lived through. Because in the late 1800s, so much was created. Just so yeah, I much. There I don't think anybody that's born in the last 20 years will experience half of what that man, man experienced. You know, I, I was doing some research for something we were doing at work, and we're looking at uh, John C. Lincoln. If that name doesn't ring a bell, Lincoln Welders, all right? John Lincoln Welders. Lincoln, Lincoln. I'm trying to place that. Lincoln Welders. Mm -hmm. The red Lincoln. ones. I'd never heard of her. Okay. It's like blue or red, <laughs> Home Depot or Lowe's. You know, That's exactly right. Deal. So he invented the first variable speed electric motor. He invented the first portable welder. And then he goes on to invent... 55 other things that were patented and it that was all in like 1895 through 1930 like just a spree and when you look back at that time it wasn't just him it was so many people inventing stuff you know now we have the internet age and you got 20 year old you know multimillionaires that are building the next ebay or whatever it is but i don't feel like it's earth-shattering technology that these guys were doing back in that era and to have lived through that, pretty wild. Yeah, and the stories are important, and you kind of touched on that a little bit, Sean, a minute ago. I mean, one, one of our really good clients who has become a good friend as well, he's a gentleman that's in his mid-60s, and he collects uh, semi-trucks, he collects internationals, he collects hot rods, he, he loves all things automobilia. And he has a really, I mean, a pretty impressive collection and his daughter came to him a couple of years ago and he was just telling me this story over lunch here about a month ago. And she said, you know, with the, with technology now with phones and GoPros and all the little cameras and everything we have, she said, dad, here's what we're going to do on once a month. We're going to go out on a Saturday to your shop and we're going to walk through there and we're going to do 10 cars and we're going to stand next to a car and you're going to stand there and I'm going to film you and you're going to tell me everything about this car because someday 
you're going to be gone and there's nothing written down. There's no paperwork. There's no nothing to tell the history of this car. And someday we need to pass that on to somebody. And I really think that if more people would do things like that with their elders or parents or whatever, more of these stories would get preserved in the future because I think 20, 30, 40 years from now, all those guys are going to be gone. We're not going to know what the story of any of these things are. I gave my uh, eldest son a uh, an audio recorder, like the kind we use when we go out to Lone Star Throwdown or something. The prank kind? Yes. And I pulled off the microphone and I just let the, uh, so it's got the main mic that, so we basically just set it on the table and we wrote out a bunch of questions and I sent them down to my parents' house and I said, ask grandpa all these questions. And I wanted him to ask these questions. Like, when did you start dating? What was your first car? Like, tell me about the first time you got your heart broken. All these things to to my father. And, and your dad said, get the hell out of here. What he, kind of questions are you asking He me? was kind of freaked. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. He was kind of freaked. Um, he just was, he was a little too reserved. And my son was also like, did your pansy of a father send you over here for that? <laughs> no, but he was a little, you know, both guys were, he was, I'm sure it was awkward for both porch. of them. But uh, it's we're the first gonna, time I cried with Grandpa. We're going to go do it again, and I'm going to have him walk down memory lane with I cars. I actually think and that's stuff. a great idea. I really do, yeah. um, because all this stuff's going to be lost someday, yep. and it's really, really important to be able to pass it on to the next generations. Well, the My case, boys go with me on a lot of these picks and stuff, and they love to ask questions. They just like to hear the stories, and they'll sit there and listen to these old guys tell stories about farming or ranching or trucks or cars or how they got this thing stuck and had to snatch block it out of a mud hole in the middle of the night or whatever the story is. They just you know, like to hear the stories. Well, I had a grandpa die when I was uh, younger, and, you know, never – he wasn't in good health and there wasn't a way to really have that conversation with him. And then my other grandfather uh, found out a lot about him when I did a report for school and, uh, you know, found out about how he went to the Navy and he was a mechanic and he was forward deployed in uh, the Pacific. And because he was an aircraft mechanic and he was uh, in the forward – I want to say it was maybe Guam or something like that. He used to have to go for check rides with the pilots after he was done fixing the airplanes to prove he wasn't a saboteur. Because obviously, if the plane went down, wow. he goes down with it, right? Uh, yeah. You know, he went to both USC and UCLA. So if you're a Southern California person, it's either USC or UCLA. There aren't people sure. who go to both. And he went to both for his degrees and stuff. And it was just wow. you know, that kind of stuff that's interesting that you know you learn. And it's just yeah. it's nice to it's nice to know where your roots are. You know, it's nice to know where you came from. Yeah, my grandfather, who my father's dad is the reason that I love cars. My dad wasn't much of a car guy. My grandpa was. My grandpa, unfortunately, passed away when I was seven. He passed away about six months before Mount St. Helens blew up. Wow. And uh, he, But he's the one that taught me about cars and used to buy me Hot Wheels and Matchbox at the store when I come over and visit them and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he come to find out later on in life, uh, when I got a little older and I understood, my grandpa was a truck driver. He drove uh, for TSF right away, which is a you know, trucking basically freight company up in the Pacific Northwest. And I have his belt buckle that I've had forever, never till I got older to understand how cool it was. But he had 3 million miles, uh, safety miles, no no accidents. Wow. 3 million miles driving an old brickboard wagon semi-truck, like cab overs. Wow. Mm, that's yeah. pretty unbelievable. And he is also the one who we grew up when I was little before he passed away. He had a 1971 international travel law that we used to go camping, hunting, and fishing in. And that's where this whole thing started for me when I was a little kid. So I'm looking at your your 406 Garage website, 406garage.com, 
where you can kind of see some of your inventory and see, you know, what these things are pretty reasonably priced. I mean, there's a lot of them that are in the 3500 to 8500 range. I'm sure some of the really nice ones are probably 12 or 13, maybe a little bit higher depending on how rare the configuration is. But this is still a market a lot of people can get into if they're interested in having an old classic. It absolutely is. And, you know, a lot of the stuff that we sell and then we, we put on there too is a lot of it is just projects. And when we say project, a lot of times what it means is we'll rescue them from a barn or a ranch or a farm or whatever. They haven't run in 20 years. We bring them in the shop. We go through the fuel system. We go through the brakes. We put a battery in them, do plugs, wires, cap rotor, all the normal stuff. Do a little auxiliary fuel tank, like a little one-gallon tank or something, because the tanks are usually rusted and gross and things like that. And a lot of people will like to buy them just like that because it'll run and drive on and off the trailer. It'll run and drive in and out of the shop, drive it around your property, drive it around the neighborhood, kind of like Jay's C20 when he first got it. Uh, but then they want to do the restoration and they want to do the wheels and tires and they want to do the interior and they want to do the seats and they want to polish the trim and they want to find the tailgate or whatever, you know, the, the father, son or father, daughter projects, that's still very much alive today, especially with last year with COVID. So a lot of what we sell is just a basic running, driving projects because people want that. We've done full restorations too, but we try and cover all the bases. That was going to be my next question is if you're actually doing restorations as well. So if a customer came to you and said, hey, listen, I want a you know crew cab, short bed. I don't know if they made those. Um, and I want- I actually have one right now on the lift. <laughs> there you go. So crew cab, short bed, find me one if you can. You know, my budget is, uh, I don't know, fifty seventy thousand dollars $70,000. I want you to make it better than it came off the showroom floor. Sure. So we have three of those going right now. So we have a 69 travel all three quarter ton full drive that gentleman got from us. That was a very nice runner driver, but it definitely had aged paint and aged interior and things like that. So it's not a frame off, but we're doing a complete color change paint inside and out. Sir, all the glass sir, interior. That would be a body off, sir. As we learned oh, from yes, Jeremiah. I'm sorry, that's Jeremiah. Like, what are we in the last podcast? <laughs> I listened to it and I totally forgot. Okay. Body off. It is not a body off, but. We're doing paint inside and out, all new glass, new seals, new interior, uh, vintage air system, uh, Chevrolet axles because he wants four-wheel disc brakes, little lift kit, wheels and tires, aftermarket bumpers, a rhino rack, roof rack so he can do some overlander uh, tent stuff on the roof, that type of thing. So that is kind of what we – you know, it's not a restoration as much as a preservation, and maybe that's not the right term. I don't know. We've got a Scout 800 in the shop right now. That's uh, the little square body one with a V8 that we just converted to a half top. Went through it completely mechanically. Engine, trans, axles, wheels, tires, lift, suspension. It's going to get full paint and it's going to get interior. And then the little bed, pickup bed is going to get right aligned and the bumpers are going to get powder coated. So, again, not a total restoration, but, eh, you know, uh, close. It's probably like a 75%. It's not, you know, again, not taking the body off the frame. And then we do have one 71 Scout 800 that we are doing right now that will be a body off frame. And it's getting Scout two axles, four-wheel disc brakes, lift, wheels, tires, paint, interior and out, full roll cage, new top, new bumpers, 5.3 LS, 4L60, Dana 300, twin stick transfer case. Lightning only knows about half of what you're talking about. No, no, I know... A little more than half. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, is, that is a full-blown every nut, bolt, and washer on the truck. And from the website, from your site, I see that you're doing a lot of the fab in-house, correct? I mean, I'm seeing a lot of uh, uh, the shackle brackets and things like that and, you know, and airbag supports. And you're – do you have a fabricator or is it you? 
So we have, so I have a, an excellent fabrication shop that we use in town here locally. We have an amazing paint and body shop we use in town. I have an amazing upholstery shop we use. So we, we definitely farm it out, but it's local. I mean, when I say local, like 15 miles away or less. And I'm fortunate that the gentleman that works for me, my head mechanic and fabricator that works here, his main job, unfortunately, right now with the world, he is a pipeline uh, welder and pipe fitter for natural gas substations. So he works about six or eight months out of the year, and he is, you know, umpteen thousand hours certified MIG, TIG, stick, torch, whatever welder you can imagine. Um, so whenever we need to put floor pans or rockers or hang new quarter panels or whatever, all I have to do is buy the metal and he can do it. It's unbelievable. So we're very fortunate that I have him, and then we have these other resources of guys that are close by that we're able to use to get this top-notch work done for everybody. We just kind of have to orchestrate it and set it up. Yeah, you uh, the welds look uh, look really nice on here. Um, I mean, it's uh, pretty impressive work. I mean, yeah. since since my uh, my truck's never going to get done, I may just have to light it on fire, walk away, take the insurance payment <laughs> on it. Uh, if that happens, I, you know, I'd be interested in a uh, in a short bed, regular cab, international four by four. I think I would go there next. Yeah, I think it's uh, you know it's one of those things that uh, it's just something different. It's it's just like your. It's not just like, but it's similar to your truck, Sean, where it's it's a short, wide pickup. Yours is a 67, if memory serves me right, F100. Yep. yep. But you did Raptor motor, or Raptor turbos, EcoBoost. You made it different. You know, you, yeah. you did the short, wide. You did the, the the SoCal truck look, but you decided went a different route and made it so that when they pop the hood, everyone's like, oh, I've never seen that before. Exactly. You know? Man, what's so, the SoCal well, truck look? Well, the, the thing is that it's inside uh, the bank's uh, shop warehouse mm-hmm. locked up. So, uh, yeah, you're right. People never will see it. What right. is what is the SoCal truck look to you, Ben? Uh, I, I say that just because everyone that uh, not everyone, but a lot of people from Southern California build really nice the short wide pickup Ford, Chevy, Dodge, whatever on you know 18s, 20s, 22s. I'm sure they're way bigger now. 24s, 26, whatever. Too big. Uh, bo- body dropped and, you know, C-notched and everything else. That's, I mean, you live in Southern California, that's what you drive. Like, that's that seems like that's the go-to rig down there. I mean, you wouldn't be out of place on PCH, that's for sure. On a Sunday. Kind of what, kind be- what it seems like. I mean, you either got to have a supercar or you got to have a slammed old short-wide Which is drive. rad, right? That's what's rad about the car culture. I know we talk about California pompousness. But what's rad about the California car culture is it doesn't matter what you have. As long as you have something. When you go on PCH on a Sunday or Saturday drive, the dude with the Lamborghini is getting just as many thumbs up as a dude in a rat rod or a dude in a patinaed truck that slammed or a guy in a, you know, Riddler level hot rod build or just somebody in a bone stock restored Land Cruiser. It's all, everybody loves everything. And the cool thing about being out here is it doesn't matter what you drive as long as you're somebody who has something with a story that's cool, people respect you for it. They go, hey, that's not my style, but I want to know about it. I want to hear the story about it. Tell me something. Uh, yeah, that's, the cars and coffee here is really similar to get-togethers and stuff. It's just about people appreciating what automobiles are and the story of whatever your automobile is. I don't care if a guy has a turbocharged s14 with cambered out wheels that slammed down to the ground if he loves it and he built it and he wants to tell the story about it i want to hear it and more importantly drives it, it right it's yeah, not just he drives sitting. it he built it he yeah. might be 19 or 20 or 40 years old or whatever but it's like he built it in his garage it's rad it's a drift car whatever i don't own a drift car i'm not yeah. into drift cars but i can appreciate what they are and the guy that built it because it's 
the love for an automobile. I'm at, I'm exactly the same way when it comes to minis. I'll never have one. I don't understand <laughs> them. But you know, if there's one that's built right, I, you know, I'll I'll give it a nod. I tell oh, you, I'm in, sorry, in, that's, in, in that's recent days, I've had some friends that have been buying, uh, really getting into smart cars, and I have no love for that car. But I'm watching their Instagram stories, going, "Okay, I, I can appreciate two, how nuts you are about this." Two acceptable smart cars, by the way. One is one with a Hayabusa motor, You're right? Because <laughs> F, yeah, right? all right. The other yeah. one is when they take it, they put it on a UTV chassis. So those are my that two acceptable cool. ones. <laughs> so I have a buddy in Portland that has one that was a, a Canadian one. I guess they never brought to the U.S. That has a soft top that retracts down in the back, but then the sidebars actually are removable the, above the between the A and B pillars. Oh, nice! They actually come out and they go in the trunk. Cabrio, and, it, and it's turbocharged. <laughs> Well, that's so it's up to almost, 80 horse. I mean, that almost <laughs> sounds cool. And then I go, wow, that's no, it's not. No, I, I just remember what it looked like. And uh, it's a smart car. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, still a smart it's a smart car. car. Two questions for you. Have you ever had one of your trucks, uh, your nationals, your uh, any any of your trucks go on to greatness? greatness? I knew it. I was I was looking at lightning. I go, he's going to say greatness. I can feel well, it. We've spent way too much time, <laughs> way together. too much time together. Uh, I, I don't believe any of the ones that we have have gone on to greatness. We have owned several that have had some prominence. Uh, we own a truck right now that was uh, part of the advertising and marketing for Duluth Trading that was on their uh, video series for two or three years ago. So you haven't had any that have gone on to Barrett-Jackson auctions and fetched no. uh, two, $2 I, million dollars know, for Omaze or something? I, we, haven't built, we haven't built anything that was like Barrett-Jackson worthy. Like I said, we're, we're more of the blue-collar shop. We're not in that uh, – nothing against those guys at all, but we're just – our stuff just isn't at that price range. What's the strangest thing you found in an international when you got it home and pulled it off the trailer? A rat body. <laughs> Nah, it's got to be way actually, Okay, this is really funny. So we I found, found I found a Barbie doll body with no head, and that was freaky. And I was like, "Ooh, she's naked!" Like, yeah, but imagine the rest of your collection. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> hey, wait. We found a condom in a package, which is not weird at all, right? Except it was still in the package, and it had to have been probably or 30, 40 years old because when Kevin, my mechanic, read the label, it said genuine goat skin. Oh, uh, you didn't say like genuine uh, T Rex skin or anything like no, that. No, I heard no, they used brontosaurus back in the day. That was probably, and that was in the glove box, uh, ironically, of a pickup truck. That dude went to a gas station. He went, yeah, I'm going on a road trip just in case. <laughs> Toss it in there and forgot about it. <laughs> yeah, 50 years later, still in there. So, Ben, if I'm all right, two questions. This is going to be a two parter because everything I have to yeah. uh, I ask is multiple. I'm good with that. What is the best year? In your opinion, like what's the best year range if somebody's looking for an international pickup? And out of what's in your inventory, what's the best thing that you had that if it was your money, well, I mean it is, would that you would buy personally? Like what is the one that you're like, man, I kind of don't want to see that one go because it's a little bit special. Those, that's my two-parter for you. Um, I think the most common stuff to find because it's the most recent would be what we sell the most of, the 69 to 75 trucks. Now they didn't make in travel walls and stuff. They didn't make a ton of them, but they're – in the grand scheme of things, they're the most recent and they were ones that were, I mean, I find them all the time right now that are still on a farm. They're still driving them. You know, they're, wow. they're, you can find one that's the original paint, original interior. It's got 250,000 miles and they're still hauling hay with it or whatever. So, and you can buy them reasonably, you know, as you can see from the prices on our website, you know, we, we obviously have to make money. So we have, you know, we have to 
make a little bit when we sell them and stuff like that, but they're not out of line. You know, you can still find them for sub $10,000 for a really nice driving, running and driving truck. Um, as far as the ones I wish that I see not go, probably the ultimate barn find truck. I mean, it was, we never even advertised it for sale other than on our Instagram. And we had several people reach out to us and I gave several people a number for it. And a few people thought I was crazy and a few people realized what it was. And the gentleman that bought it said, uh, I couldn't have had that truck built for twice that. So that's a bargain as far as I'm concerned. That being said, is there one out there that you have lusted over that you have seen but wasn't for sale? Or if you found that configuration when you were out in your travels, you would totally, like, sight unseen, you'd buy that one? I know there's one, and I'm trying to buy it right now. And you guys got to see a version of it when I was there for the 500 uh, listener meetup. You interviewed him, Aaron. Remember that wagon master? Yeah, that looks yes. like yeah that thing is cool. Oh, it's beautiful. Okay, so not that particular one because Aaron knows the story on that truck and he'll never sell that. That truck's going to die with him, which is great. That's what it should do. But I know where there's one of those and it is a four-wheel drive and it is original paint and it is a one-owner truck and it does have low miles and someday the guy's going to let me buy it. But, but that's the one of all the ones that I've had that I – that's the one truck I haven't had. I've had a single cab. I've had a crew cab short bed, crew cab long bed, dually, one-ton, four-wheel drive, Scout 800. I've had, a, I've had all the – all the ones I wanted to have. That's the one that has eluded me the most. Can we talk about the international Nissan crossover? I feel like, you know, we'd be <laughs> remiss. Uh, I was out at my uncle's ranch uh, about a month ago or so. And, uh, Is that where you were learning how to stick weld? Yes, it was. Okay. I was not learning how to stick weld. I was just stick welding. I made a, <laughs> I took a wheel uh-huh. and I welded a bunch of horseshoes around it and made a hose uh, bib out of it. And man, it was just like a lot of booger welds. Frick, it's so awesome. Yeah. Everything about that was beautiful. <laughs> He's using it now. He said it, it held together, and he hit it with a uh, with a sledgehammer, a metal sledgehammer, to break mm-hmm. any crappy welds, and it all held. So he shoved a, he welded a pole on the back and shoved it in the ground. And he uses it as a target? Nope, a hose bib. Still a hose bib. Hose bib, okay. So it's coming around his one of his outhouses, which is full of all sorts of stuff. I think I sent you the video of his old Miller welder firing up. and Yeah, super cool. Oh, so awesome. And walk around the corner, and there, sitting in its own glory, a complete International Scout Nissan Diesel. And I asked my uncle, I said, hey, what's up with this thing? And he goes, oh, I took it out of something a long time ago. You know anyone who wants it? I go, I might. So here I am thinking, I've got the master of all internationals. And it's like, Ben, I have got an engine for you that, that you, can, you can have it. And he writes back, yeah, nice boat acre. Oh, really? <laughs> so wait, what, what's up with the, uh, the diesel engine? It just not sought well, after? It, it, it's one of those deals where I think, I don't know the exact story of why they did it. I think it was... In 79 and 80, at the very end of the scout run, I think they were just throwing everything they could at the wall to see what would stick, to see what they could sell. And it was a 3.3 liter Nissan, and the early 79s were a uh, non-turbo diesel, and the later ones were a turbo diesel, which means that they could spit another foot further than the other one. (laughs) But the joke when the international industry uh, of collectors and stuff is, is it's a great motor, it gets like 50 miles to the gallon. They were super cool, and they couldn't get themselves out of a wet paper bag. I mean, they don't even have enough power or torque or nothing. They they, they were neat because they were turbo diesel, and they were in the truck, but 
really could put a Cummins R28 in there or a 4BT or, I mean, there's so many other things. How many you liters? You could Perkins back 3. then, 3. it would have been better. A 3.3. Oh. Well, the, the, the thing that you're missing, though, with a Cummins swap is that really cool Nissan diesel logo that's on the valve cover. <laughs> it's very right. cool. I, you know, it's funny. It's funny you bring it up because I actually have one here right now. There's a factory turbo diesel Nissan motor, and it's in a Scout Two Traveler, which is the 118 inch wheelbase, the long wheelbase. It's a factory T19 wide ratio, so it means you can actually go 65 miles an hour down the road, which in that motor probably will take you a ride around seven to ten minutes. But at least you could get there. And this truck actually has Dana 44 axles, disc brakes, power steering, power brakes, and has factory lockers. Everything. So wait, yeah. what, what's to stop someone from compound turboing it or something like that? I mean, get some get some real power going. I I don't know anybody that's done any kind of buildup on these. I know lots of guys that have done the medium-duty diesels, the DT360s and the DT466s, and put them in D-series trucks. Um, and that is basically like building a five nine Cummins. It's the same. It's the same. It's the exact same diesel injection pump as the five nine Cummins, even made by Bosch and everything. How how so, durable is this engine though? This three three. Uh, well, Sean can tell you in what great condition the one was at at his uh, uncle's place. Well, I mean, and that's what most of them look like. It was patinaed. Um, <laughs> it was still blue, blue and patina. And I bet I, it was running when it, you know, just like all ranch engines that are on the ground outside in the snow and dirt and mud. I think if you it kept ran when you took coolant, it out. Yeah, I think if you kept coolant and oil in them, they probably will run forever. They just make no power. They make no torque, but they are ridiculously reliable. So I it's mean, like they, made for they, a generator or something, right? It, yeah, or put them, you know, I, I always thought would be fun is put them on one of those Japanese mini trucks that everybody uses on their farms. Yeah, there you go. Stick, stick one in that thing because I, all that does is just run around the farm. I wonder if that was from the patrol of that era, I, I, where it came from. It very well could be. Yeah. I, I don't know the story on that. Jeff would know better than I do on that. And another guy, that, so I'm not plugging people here, but it just made me think of it. Another guy you guys should think about if you want to talk about international harvester history is John Glancy. He owns Super Scout Specialties in Ohio. And John's father worked for an international on the assembly line. And John worked for International on the assembly line, building the scouts before they were finished. He has a museum at his shop. He has a restoration shop. And he is the light line dealer for the entire U.S. So he's the guy that supplies all the parts that you can still buy that International makes. And he also wrote a book called The Scout Encyclopedia, which is you know, definitely rendered as one of the go-to books for history of the scout. I might have to find that and uh, brush up because I will admit I'm, uh, I'm rusty just like that old uh, engine um, yeah. on my international history. I tell you what, I learn every time I buy one of these trucks, I learn something new. What's the consistency like on the the build quality of the international line? I mean, what's good like because they were tough. They were built for ranches and farms, so no, they were but overbuilt. I, I, I could see that by the, the frames. They're fully boxed as opposed to, yeah. you know, C-Channel. Yeah. But even back then, the consistency, I'm curious, like were gaps always different or I mean, how were they coming off the line back then? The paint was single stage uh, farm implement style paint wasn't real fancy. Um, they didn't do very good job on a lot of the primer and undercoat on some of the inside of the fenders and cowls and tough areas. So they are always been prone to rust because they didn't do very good rust prevention. As far as mechanically, you can't kill one of these trucks. I, I can virtually take any of these trucks, no matter how long they've been sitting and make them run again. When the engineers designed these engines, the 345 and the 392 and a bunch of these motors, they were the same engines that they used in the implements, the, um, 
stationary equipment. So the test for these engines before they put them into the pickups and travel halls for them, the engineers test was it had to run at 3000 hours at 3000 RPMs. Do that then and still maintain tolerances and oil pressure and coolant and everything else. Then that design of that engine was going to go forward. And the 345 and the 392 both were proven to run 3000 hours for at 3000 RPM. <laughs> one of these days when you're having one of your breakfast time meetings with Gail, ask Gail about the engineering and design of international uh, V8 engines. I bet he has some interesting stories to tell about them. I will. That's a good uh, good topic for when we have him come back. We uh, yeah well, we're we're amassing a list of topics because I told him uh, we've heard the history his, of this, but now we want to talk about Gail's POV or point of view on things that have happened in his uh, tenure. I told him about three hours ago that we are going to have Galosode three. And he was happy? And or he, he was like, really? You you want me back? I'm like, are you kidding me? We mention you every other yeah, show. Yeah, that's true. We now have to have you back. I wish that I knew half the things that he forgot. Uh, I wish I remembered half the things I forgot that he's told me. <laughs> right? Because that's true. The, yeah, the man has an amazing uh, recall for events and people's names. It's, it's yeah, very I, weird. I have, I have none of that. I hope that in my short time on this earth that I will get to shake his hand someday and be able to talk to him for a few minutes because yeah, that would be probably not. You're welcome to come down anytime. Oh, I mean, dude. yeah, come on down, come on yeah, down. I mean, he's there six yeah. days but a week, sometimes he's, seven. He's definitely one of those people that, as far as as a car guy goes, I mean, I, he's he ranks right up there with, you know, all the top people as far as I'm concerned. Hey, listen, next time you're down here, why don't you bring a trailer so you can take my truck home and I'll introduce you to Gail. Perfect. Well, I definitely got to come down when we finish this 379 uh, flat top long nose Peterbilt Caterpillar truck here pretty soon. I mean, we haven't even talked about that, so I mean, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to save it for next. Tell time. me that you're gonna slam it on bags. Come on. Uh, we actually are. It's getting a car hauler front axle, and we just purchased. They just picked up today the low low air leaf for the rear. Oh. So. It's going to be sitting on uh, yeah, 255, awesome. uh, 225. Okay, all right, all right, here's the deal. Ben, My man. Ben, here's the deal. <laughs> I love low. When that thing is done, then let's have you come back on so you, we can talk just about the long nose Pete. Because you know I have this strange, you know, unnatural fascination with long nose Pete's, and I really like this one. Let's get it done, and then let's let's go over it. It's going to come full circle because one of your guests, Mr. Uh, Al Bolera, Greg A. Yeah. He reached out to me and uh, is having me try and hunt down a Dodge, uh, specific Dodge short wide pickup that he's been hunting for for a long time. Oh, cool. And obviously he's building a Pete, so we talked about Peterbilts and stuff like that. And uh, mine will be similar to his, but in his words, uh, on the next level. <laughs> All right. All right. If you uh, want to find out more about internationals, check out uh, 406garage.com or at 406garage or 406garage on Facebook and talk to our good friend Ben Palmer. Ben, it's been uh, awesome to have you back on the show and impart some international knowledge to the truck show audience. Well, I appreciate it as always. Always good to chat with you guys and I look forward to seeing you again uh, sooner than later when COVID is over. Awesome. Dude, absolutely. All Thanks, right. buddy. Take care, you guys. Bye, brother. Talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Yo, buddy, over there with the uh, laptop open and the news, there seems to be a lot of info coming out of the truck world. Do you want to share some with us today? No. I'll give you an opportunity to answer that with a different answer. Is that a yes? Yeah. <laughs> What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. 
lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? Oh, yeah! Oh, wait, 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 what? wait, wait. What? You can't do, oh, yeah, if I'm doing, uh. Okay. A couple of sad uh, sad things have happened uh, this past week in the truck world. Um, we lost two greats. If you recall, we recently did an episode on the Eastern Mojave Heritage Trail with our friend Billy Creech, and we talked about uh, the guy who basically laid out the original trail, Dennis Casebeer, and he's also the uh, basically the founder of the Mojave Road uh, here in California and the Mojave Desert Historical and Cultural Association. Uh, passed away at the uh, ripe old age of 86. Uh, Billy Creech did share that he was trying to get together yeah. uh, with him uh, and, and couldn't because yeah. of his health. Yep, and so unfortunately, uh, shortly after our uh, our recording, he uh, he passed away. Um, so if you are interested in knowing more about him, you can head over to fourwheeler.com and read his obituary or head over to uh, mdhca.org uh, to support his uh, organization or even uh, donate uh, in his honor of uh, preserving the history of the Mojave Desert. Did you write the obituary? I did. Is that is that the first one you've uh, written? Uh, I don't think so. What? I've done obits before. Have you really? Sure. I write all sorts of things. I'm not I'm not saying that you're not capable. I, can you read it to me? Well, I just wrote the intro and then we had the- Can you read the intro? I could read the intro. Uh, Dennis G. Casebeer, adventurer, steward, author, and historian, has passed away at the age of 87. Casebeer is most famously known for his work to reestablish the famous 140-mile Mojave Road off-road trail in California, a path he hiked in its entirety twice before realizing the appeal it would have for off-roaders. Through Dennis, a whole new generation of explorers was introduced to the term rock cairn in his beloved Mojave Road Guide, and Casebeer founded the original Eastern Mojave Heritage Trail route, as well as publishing a quartet of complimentary guidebooks. As one of the most knowledgeable and respected historians on the topic of the Mojave Desert, Casebeer curated the museum and library in Goffs, California, where his legacy lives on with the Mojave Desert and Cultural Association. Casebeer's death is a huge loss for the Mojave Desert community, and he'll greatly be missed by all who knew him, knew of his work, and benefited from his knowledge and stewardship. All of us will inherit from him an appreciation and respect for the Mojave Desert that we can share with those who follow in our two tracks. That's why I asked you to read it. And basically just said, uh, if you're interested in donating uh, to MDHCA in honor of Dennis, please visit MDHCA.org and read on for the official release about his passing. So. I wonder how many people uh, are listening to this right now just realizing that uh, you're a writer. Uh, no, everybody knows I'm a writer. You think so? Yeah. Uh, and then uh, also sad is uh, just the other day, Bruce Myers passed away. You'll know Myers as the father of the uh, dune buggy. He was 94 years old and the inventor of the Myers Manx. Mm. And... Uh, our condolences also go out to uh, to his family and, and, and friends as well. Bruce is a member of the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame, and uh, he received uh, accolades in the off-road world over his lifetime, including inspiring the ubiquitous Volkswagen based dune buggy. It's kind of uh, amazing that you look back uh, in the dune buggy came out of the early 60s, and it was the very first, the Myers-Manx, the very first production VW Beetle-based buggy, and uh, that design has carried through for... Uh, Almost 70 years, and has obviously uh, spilled over into popular culture, movies, cartoons, music, toys. I think everybody has some sort of a memory or experience. Saw one of those, yep, saw one of those at the quarantine cruise uh, this last weekend. They're still out there. And people are still racing them. So uh, anyway, uh, just wanted to uh, share our condolences about about Bruce uh, Myers and, uh, of course, Dennis Casebeer. So... Two, uh, two legends in their respective fields that uh, have passed on, but I hope their legacy lives on and, and their passions live on in the people that they, uh, that they inspired. It's 
It's pretty cool that uh, we had uh, such an in-depth discussion about him and his work prior to his passing. I'm, I'm hoping that the word got back to him. And uh, apparently his his children was it his daughter, right? His, his daughter is mm-hmm. fairly active and mm-hmm. uh, was kind of acting as a, an intermediary between his 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 well, friends and, and uh, cohorts. Yeah. We talked about uh, the Mojave Road Guide and the Eastern Mojave Heritage Trail, and actually had a couple people who listened to the episode, took pictures. They had ordered the books. So I thought that was pretty cool. That is so cool. So we inspired yeah. them to uh, to soak up some adventure, some knowledge. So, did you hear? No. Uh, Toyota has <laughs> a brand new, uh, sort of, uh, TRD developed lift kit for four-wheel drive uh, Tacomas as a dealer-installed option. The kit only fits a 2020 and newer, at least officially, uh, as it's designed to be compatible with the Toyota Safety Sense suite of driver assistance features. But the kit provides Tacomas with uh, two inches of lift in the front and one inch in the rear. You get brand new Bilstein shocks all the way around, complete with tuned by TRD branding. And the front shocks give you uh, additional uh, uh, height by adjusting the coil spring uh, position on the shock tube. Toyota says that you get improved off-road performance. And these are actually what I believe, and I haven't verified, but I'm pretty sure that these are the 6112s that were on the TRD Pro previously before they swapped over to Fox. Mm. And so you can basically uh, add these to your Tacoma now. And uh, I actually don't tell anyone. I actually like these shocks and the setup on the older TRD Pro better than the current stuff on it. Why were you whispering? Uh, just in case anybody hears me. So in case the the folk from TRD hear you? Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm down. Well, I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Um, anyway, uh, approach angle is improved, breakover angle, departure angle are all improved. It, why, why is this? Uh, why is this? I know it's cool that they're releasing this kit, but it, this is not the first TRD lift kit, is it? Well, this is uh, kind of a big deal for people who didn't, uh, you know, opt for the TRD Pro. You can get pro-like performance with a lesser grade of Tacoma from the dealer, and uh, beyond just having the suspension, uh, you can also get a TRD Pro style grill. And uh, new TSS sensor, and then uh, fog light delete bezels. If you don't have uh, fog lights, the uh, dealer installed option. Do you want to guess on what the price is? Uh, okay, yeah. If it includes the uh, the Bilstein shocks, uh, seventeen hundred. Thirteen fifty, excluding oh, labor. Okay, not too bad. To no, get it. no, not too bad. Because if you have it uh, installed prior to taking delivery, uh, it's a three year, thirty six thousand mile warranty. And uh, if you install it after you buy your truck, it's uh, just one year, 12,000 mile warranty. But I think that's a pretty cool option for anybody looking for a performance suspension that works with uh, all the factory doodads, comes with a warranty, and I actually think is a pretty impressive uh, setup for the money. I would agree. Hey, did you hear? No. Uh, Four Wheelers Overland Adventure uh, 21, we had mentioned a few episodes ago. It's canceled. Uh, is officially uh, up on fourwheeler.com where oh. you can register to go wheeling with me. Wait, with you? And a lot of other people. With you? But, okay. but, but also with me. You are, you're actually going to go? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't miss it for the world. And uh, it's presented by Jeep. And uh-huh. uh, we're going to be uh, announcing new sponsors here in the next I heard few that weeks. I was going uh, with you. I mean, I guess you could. Uh, yeah. How, how many uh, days do I need to take off work? Seven. Seriously? Uh, five. Five? It's, uh, what, a Saturday to Sunday or something? Yeah, so, well, uh, for participants, it's Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monday is the registration day, I believe, and then Friday is where we end up. So it's three days of wheeling, two nights of camping, or three nights, depending on how you want to arrange your schedule. Uh, and um, it's going to go from Kanab, Utah, to Moab. 
Oh, and wow. It's supposed to be pretty uh, pretty epic. Uh, we've got a lot of really cool stuff planned. And uh, Tell me about the sign-up process. Uh, it, it, just anyone, or do you are nope, there nope, requisites? Do I have to have a certain nope. kind of vehicle? Well, you have to have an uh, a overland vehicle. All the information is on fourwheeler.com. Just go uh, to the events tab and go down to uh, Overland Adventure or type in and Google Overland Adventure 21. And uh, we will be holding it this year, May 24th through the 26th, which leads into uh, Memorial Day weekend, essentially. And what's the weather like up there, other uh, than warm? Okay. No, it's amazing. Okay. And for those who want to extend uh, their trip, we'll be ending in Moab, so it's a perfect weekend to continue your adventure uh, around Moab and enjoy okay. the scenery and all that stuff. Uh, so we've got a lot, lot more to announce coming up at uh, fourwheeler.com. Oh, the selection process is uh, going to be, I believe it's just 20 vehicles. So you sign up, and uh, your vehicle goes uh, gets vetted by the staff, and we handpick the ones that uh, we want to come. There's some questions and that you answer, photos, some requirements in terms of tire size. And oh, so ultimately, this turns into it's a it's an entire a massive photo op. It's a private, uh, basically a private overlanding trip with a bunch of uh, great sponsors and people. This year, we had 72 people and 40 vehicles. So uh, it's going to be, uh, I would imagine, similar size. Well, I'm confused. You just said 20. You said 20 vehicles. 20 participant vehicles. Sponsors can also bring vehicles. Gotcha. So you'll be wheeling with the people who are making the parts for your stuff. Now, if I've got a full-size Ram with a diesel, should I still enter? Sure. Oh, so it's not a Jeep thing? No. Okay. No, sponsored by Jeep, but anybody can enter, so head over to- So as long as I've got a capable four-wheel drive, they should enter. If you've got a capable four-wheel drive that can be self-sufficient out in the backcountry, and you enjoy adventure, and great scenery, and amazing, uh, amazing history- and you want to do it with uh, myself and a bunch of other people from uh, the four-wheeler team and some great sponsors and companies out there, then head over to fourwheeler.com and check it out. Did you hear? No. You didn't? No. No, I didn't. I don't believe so. Hmm. The uh, 2022 GMC Sierra Elevation is going to be a model coming out. That is a four-wheel drive. It's got a massive lift kit, right? Nope. It's uh, in between that and their AT4. So not quite as aggressive as the AT4, but a little bit of additional capability over a standard four-wheel drive. No, the AT4 is not like, quote-unquote, aggressive, is it? It's for a stock, you know, for a factory truck. I mean, it's got a lift on it and Duratrack tires and monotube shocks and all okay. that kind of good stuff. All right. So this is probably a little bit, you know, bigger wheel, shorter sidewall, a little better handling, you know, that sort of not, I'm not necessarily going in the woods, but I, you know, want some capability to go down a dirt road. And uh, this is probably more of a style play, I would imagine. Well, we've seen spy photos of it out testing and it looks pretty cool. What what are we seeing different about it? Uh, Right height, wheels, uh, we're told that it's going to have off-road suspension, hill descent control, skid plates, heavy duty air filter, rancho shocks. Uh, X31 hard badge and integrated dual exhaust. What's a hard badge? It's a badge that is on the side of your vehicle. It says X31. Yes. What does X31, what, what is that? What does ZR2 mean? Uh, I, what does AT4 mean? Great question. Well, AT4 would be all-terrain four-wheel drive. Z, I, I don't know. Well, exactly. It's just that they're marketing. It's the, probably the box you check and the name of the package and they... Can't, there's people have run out of names to name things in the trademark office, so now they're but they turn into a badge. It's all alphanumeric. Well, because they don't have names anymore. Okay, unless it's elevation. I don't know. <laughs> Why does GM do anything that they do? Nobody knows. They just do it, and if you like it, order. If you don't, don't. <laughs> Bob, what should we call this? Uh, X31. I love it. Go with it. Th- there you go. All right. Now you're a GM executive. <laughs> apparently. Uh, all right. Uh, did you hear? How about no? Okay, well then I'm going to tell you, our friends over at Mopar. Okay, yeah. They have uh, developed a uh, new 
uh, windshield for JL and JT uh, vehicles as a follow-up to the JK. That is opaque. That is a Gorilla Glass. G- so like all, as in the iPhone yes. cover Gorilla so Glass. So as uh, all of you people who uh, have, are always driving Jeeps, getting uh, rock chips and all that kind of stuff, uh, they're now offering a factory replacement, even with the little Jeep logo in the corner for people who don't want the, uh, the aftermarket ones that don't come with it. Uh, new glass that's supposed to... Uh, Mitigate sharp impacts, blunt impacts, including a one-pound ball of ice being shot from a uh, air cannon uh, to sim- simulate hail, and biaxial flexure, also hailstone, sharp impacts on the surface, and those long cracks that can run uh, from one central point or the flex of your vehicle twisting that mm-hmm. can crack the windshield further. I'm curious, do you get any personal enjoyment from this when you you get a crack or like a, a, a the little star, right? And you know, ultimately, it's going to just spider across your windshield. So you drill a hole to stop it? No. Right through your windshield? No. 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 What I do is I just gently tap on it until it just starts breaking more. No. I I just, it's just like nothing says, nothing says I hate my vehicle more than a broken windshield. True. But I I do it because then I'm going to call my insurance and then, you know, pay my deductible and get a new windshield. Well, hopefully you have a uh, low deductible because the, uh, the Mopar JLJT glass. Yeah, guess uh, on the price? I would like to, yes. I'm going to say this is just windshield, right? It's not side windows or back Just glass, the windshield, right? and it's windshield. Uh, called a Mopar Performance Gorilla Glass Windshield Replacement. Okay, 1100 999 Oh, I was close. Uh, obviously, the uh, the Gorilla Glass laminate layer mm-hmm. is uh, very expensive, and... Uh, the only other vehicle that I'm aware that has a Gorilla Glass aftermarket replacement is a Ford F-150. Oh. So huh. there are, uh, there's a company out there that is doing the same thing, but these ones are, are Mopar uh, authorized, so they're direct replacement from the factory. And I think that uh, half of me wants to preemptively just put one on my Jeep. It's not a bad idea. Hey, so, okay, here I go with again with non-truck content, but I, I wanted your opinion on this one. Okay. And I, I actually would like you to see it next time you're over at my house. So on the uh, the Benzo, as I call it, yeah. Um, from about the midway point of the glass, so the windshield, yeah, to the bottom. Mm-hmm. When I'm looking through it, and, you know, I, I ride like a baller, like I'm laid back as much as I can be, with your mind on your right. money and your money, money on your on mind. mind. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. So I, I lay back and I put my uh, my my right hand up o- over the steering wheel, and my left hand, my left arm is like. On there, and I, I yeah. put my hat, my hat sideways, right. my flat bill. You right. know what I mean? Go, uh, like straight vanilla ice. Yeah, right? yeah as yeah, I cruise way back. I got, I got to make sure that I'm, you know, dripping, dripping gold and mm-hmm. and, and and rocks in my teeth. Yeah, right? yeah, sure. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, the bottom half of my freaking windshield looks like it has orange peel in it. Yeah, probably not on it, but in it. Yeah, because you probably have. So that's optical clarity, and you probably have an aftermarket windshield. I'm sure you've got a chipped. Windshield or broken windshield in the past, and you replace with it says Mercedes Benz right on it. Then that's bad. Yeah, that's just a bad windshield, and uh, no, no bueno. How does that happen though? It's just a manufacturing flaw. No, is it a flaw or because glass is? Bear with me for a second. It's a flaw. Glass is liquid, right? So over the course of a hundred years, if you look at you know, go up to a, a ghost town, look at the windows, and they're thicker at the bottom than they are at the top because they do flow down. True story. Okay. Um, I'm wondering if that could happen here. No. The, the car's in 07. The car's not 100 years old. Uh, okay. Could it be the, the, the laminate or the film in the middle of the two panes if of glass? If it's laminated, which I assume it is because it's probably safety glass, sure. I mean, over heat and time and stuff, but I mean, it's not that old. 2007 is not that long ago. 
It's weird. It's disconcerting to look through. I was I thought forever it was my dash reflecting up. It was hmm. you know, but I have I have the you know the Alcantara whatever it is yeah. suede, suede stuff. Swedish. And I thought it was that, and then it's not. It's absolutely not. It's the glass. It, it, truck show podcast at gmail.com or at LBC Lightning. Hit me if you've ever experienced this. Or if you have a spare windshield to give lightning. Yeah. Mercedes I'm, AMG. I'm scared to death all. to see what it's going to cost. I'm oh, God. Well, let's see. That windshield is probably has the radio antenna in it, and yeah. it probably has a defrosting element yes, in it. it and it probably, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to find out right now. Hold on. I want to know if the Gorilla Glass Jeep windshield is more expensive or less expensive than your crappy Mercedes windshield. Oh, I found it here. Uh, how much do you think the uh, the glass, the windshield here for my uh, SL55 goes for? Twenty two hundred. I'm st- I'm stunned if this is true. I'm at uh, MB Online Parts, nine hundred fifty two dollars and fifty cents. So cheaper than the Gorilla Glass. I'm uh, I'm stunned if this is if this is true. I'm going to buy a new one. Well, I'm going to go by your house on my way home and hit it with a baseball bat just so you can have the pleasure of putting a new windshield that you can see through. Here's $50 right here. I'm paying you to do it. I'm going to jail. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, moving right along from the uh, Mercedes-Benz windshield podcast, (laughs) let's get into my recent interview at the Peterson Automotive Museum and their new Extreme Vehicles exhibit. Hey, everybody. It's Holman, and I am here at one of the premier automotive museums in the entire country, if not the world, and that's the Pete, the Peterson Automotive Museum in Los Angeles. And I'm with Autumn Neary, who is a curator here. And what you guys don't know, because you haven't been able to enjoy the Peterson, is that they have this amazing off-road vehicle exhibition um, that started right when COVID hit and the museum's been closed. And so we thought it would be great if we could come get a private tour and share all the vehicles with you guys. We'll have pictures of them on our Instagram, so you can go check them out. But Autumn, maybe talk about where we're standing and kind of the challenge you guys have had in the last uh, year, I guess. Sure, so we're here with our new exhibition, Extreme Conditions. It's in our customs gallery. Um, The exhibition was actually up uh, in September was when we were initially supposed to uh, open it and we opened it, but no one's had a chance (laughs) to see it. So it's been sitting here. Um, So it's really great to be able to share it with you and hopefully get a little sneak peek out there for people so they get excited about it. So when we are able to open again, that that people will have the the drive to come down and and check it out. It's just waiting for visitors. Yeah, so the the Peterson Automotive Museum, for those who don't know, uh, our company at one point was owned by Peterson and the museum really honors his legacy and you guys are constantly changing and having new things. You have a huge collection downstairs. People know it's the basement. If you ever come to Los Angeles, if you live in Southern California and you haven't been here, you need to come because this is one of the top, you know, how many years ago, maybe four or five that you guys had the complete redesign? It's just unbelievable now. In 2015, we did a whole redesign. The outside of the building now has these insane metal ribbons. You'll see it coming down Wilshire or Fairfax. You'll you'll know when you're here. It's this really great sculptural piece of art. But we also redid our interior galleries, got everything brand new and shiny, and then redid our vault downstairs, which houses an additional uh, about 350 vehicles. So I've had a chance to go down there on a few private tours, and it's it's pretty cool if uh, if you ever get a chance. But this place is is gorgeous. Um, you really because it's sort of steeped in Southern California hot rodding culture. You definitely have that vibe. 
It's a museum that you can find the most expensive Ferrari Testarossa in one hall and an awesome hot rodder or, or home built even in some cases in another hall. And it's really a, a, an homage to the automotive performance and enthusiast culture. I think it's, it's special because it's not just these high-end cars that you'll never see or did never get driven. It's things that are used, especially in the exhibit that we're in today. Yeah, absolutely. And we have our supercars exhibition that just opened that sort of speaks to what you're saying, these high-end, ultra-rare, and then that's you know juxtaposed with our extreme conditions exhibition, which are these down and dirty cars that people drive and drive rough and they get they get muddy they get dirty and and people put a lot of love into these things and they get driven so we really try to feature something for all different groups of people all different kinds of automotive enthusiasts anybody can find a show that's for them here at the peterson all right so right now we're sort of standing in this unique um, grouping of race vehicles um, we've got a couple famous ones, like the, I guess it was the Scoop Vessels F100, uh, that's the black two-wheel drive, 72 bump side with the gold grill, I think most people will know. Um, we've got the Nova, and then is this a Triumph? This is the Triumph uh, TR3, and this car was actually one of the first uh, 68 vehicles that were in the 1967 original Baja race. So this Triumph was essentially stock when it raced, um, except for skid plates, a roll bar, they relocated the gas tank, put some driving lights on it. Those but guys it, were crazy. <laughs> totally crazy. And they, um, they essentially drove it stock. And as a result, it broke down after only 300 miles. They abandoned it in the desert and it was reportedly used as a chicken coop by the locals for decades <laughs> until it was rediscovered in the Mexican desert in the late 1990s and brought back to racing condition. And the thing about this car and all the cars in this gallery, you know, there are plenty of SUVs and trucks on the market today that are off-road capable. Additionally, there are specialty vehicles like dune buggies, um, you know, UTVs, ATVs that are designed for off-road use. But this exhibition is in our customs gallery, which means these are all road-going production vehicles that have been modified for off-road use. So this- uh, that'll, that'll never catch on. <laughs> <laughs> it really shows the breadth of ways. What we were going for in this gallery was to show the breadth of ways that people can modify vehicles and the breadth of purposes that people modify them for. And uh, this racing section really, like you said, there's a couple of famous ones here, ones that people will be surprised to see and excited to see because they know them, but also ones that you wouldn't expect to see or that you wouldn't think could be modified to be an off-road contender, but in fact can be. All right, well, let's uh, move on to the 72 Ford F100. So this is the famous uh, Scoop Vessels truck. And the Vessels family was um, known for racing, but they were also uh, um, horse breeders for racing and things like that, thoroughbreds. And so Vessels Ranch, uh, I believe in San Diego, my, if my memory's not failing me, uh, it was a huge deal, and for those of you listening, you know I'm a huge fan of the bump side, and this is a uh, black bump side with uh, a step side on the back, and it's got the gold grill. You've probably seen it. It's a two-wheel drive. It's got beams on it. Uh, this truck is just beautiful. I think this might be one of my favorite ones in the collection. This is one of my favorites for sure. This, like you said, was built by Charlie Haga for Scoop Vessels. Um, he raced it to class victories in the 1977 Baja 500 and Baja 1000. 
One of the cool things about this truck, it was the first competition vehicle to feature BF Goodrich radial tires, which had been adapted from agricultural use, but were specifically designed for high-speed desert driving. Um, and another cool thing about this, it's currently gasoline powered, but when Scoop drove it, it was fueled by propane, which doesn't change density with altitude and is therefore extremely advantageous on desert, long distance desert courses with widely variable terrain. But it's just a beautiful vehicle. It's on loan to us from the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame, and we're just so excited to be able to include it. People will be thrilled to see it. It's in beautiful condition. It's funny when you think of Baja and desert racing, you think of tires and suspension, but you don't think of necessarily those types of drivetrain or fuel choices and things like that. I mean, this was stuff that was happening in the 70s um, from the beginning of SCORE and, and Baja and the races to now. There's an awful lot of innovation that happens and just storytelling. I've had a chance to race in Baja a number of times and it's it's really a magical place. There's nothing like it. Um, if, if you've ever had a chance to, to do that, it's um, Baja Week in, in Mexico is just, it's, it's hard to explain, you have to do it. That's amazing. I've, you know, I, this, the off-road world was new to me when I started working on this exhibition, but the more I learn about it, everyone says you've gotta get down to Baja, you've gotta see it. These people love this race, they love the culture, and it's really fantastic to see the things they do to vehicles to get them there. Yeah, it's it, amazing. All right, let's move on to the Nova. So this is interesting. I've seen this car before, but I don't know the, the history behind it. Um, but it's a uh, 70 Nova, and it looks like it's up on like 37-inch tires. And it's, uh, it's what, I mean, normally you see these guys in the South who do this to like old cars in the junkyard, but this is a, clearly a race vehicle with long travel suspension with car body. Yes, so this is a 1970 Chevy Nova known as the Snorton Norton. Uh, this car was raced in the mid-1980s in the vintage class in races like Baja, the Parker 400, the Mint 400. Um, it did pretty well in those races. It wasn't modified to quite the extent it is now, but you can see in this old photo here, it still had the, it still had the suspension and the shocks going on. Um, it eventually sort of faded into obscurity and was actually rediscovered in the early 2000s in a Louisiana bayou. See, they, that's, that's exactly, somebody went, I'm going to take that in the mud, yeah. Yeah, and so they, they brought it back to life. They, you know, increased the suspension even further. It's got racing shocks, got deep relief springs. It's got, uh, it's in great shape now. And it raced the Baja again in 2011, 12, and 13. That's amazing. Um, it just goes to show how durable and built these vehicles were in their day that they're still able to race, you know, modern day i mean this is one of those ones that it looks like a hot wheel right like it's so out of proportion <laughs> almost a caricature of itself and you right. you want to pick it up and drive it through the sandbox or or just go do uh, donuts in a muddy field or something like that but um this one is very cool i'm loving the uh the plaques or the placards here that kind of tell the story of each one and in scoop 72 f100 has a 6.6 uh, .6 liter v8 with about 450 horsepower and they're saying that this brick had a top speed of around 125 which Oh my God. I mean, I wouldn't go 125 in that thing, let alone right. over whoops and jumps, right? And then the, uh, the Snorton Norton has a uh, Chevy small block 5.7 uh, V8 with 400 horsepower. 
and that went 110. I don't think I'd want to go 110 that either. <laughs> no, definitely these things would be, you'd be pushing them to the edge to, to hit those speeds. Uh, but they're, they're both beautiful and, and, and awesome to see them here under the lights and cleaned up because normally in the element they're filthy dirty and right. banged up and you know if you raced in Baja you know that you know the beginning of the race is not what your vehicle looks like at the end of the race. Right and both of these the Snorton Norton and Scoops truck come to us from the Off-Road Motorsports Hall of Fame so these ones came to us nice and cleaned up looking beautiful and pristine <laughs> whereas the Triumph you can see came straight from the Baja yeah, yeah, in 2017. Uh, the, tri the Triumph was uh, ridden hard and put away dusty. <laughs> yes um, and they asked the, the owner asked if he wanted a, wanted to clean it up for us and I said absolutely no. not let's it earned that. that it's almost like the patina I mean you look at the back of Scoop's truck the front of it's beautiful it's painted and there's you know it looks good but you look at the bedsides and it looks almost as good as the front except for all the rock you know have worn away the paint at the leading edge of the fenders and I always tell people you know when they're restoring vehicles like my opinion on that is if there's no rust preserve that patina because that truck or that vehicle earned that patina. There's a story right. behind it. If it's rusty and you have to cut things out for safety or, or you know, integrity, then go ahead and do that. But if you are lucky enough to have a patinaed vehicle and you're trying to decide, do I make it nice or keep, in my opinion, always keep that patina because the storytelling will live on with that vehicle uh, forever. And once you get rid of it, you'll never have it back again. So over here we have Desert Flyer, which is a Porsche 911 uh, Type 964. This is the one that everybody who's about, mm, I would say, 38 to 45, maybe 50, has always seen the lifted off-road 911s with big knobby tires for you know, Dakar and things like that. And every one of us have been there. I wish I had a chance to drive one. It's like, it's like the ultimate dune buggy in a way. Right. These Safari Porsches are really popular. And this one was actually built in 2017 for the 50th anniversary of the Baja 1000. So this was a special construction by Roth Sport Racing. Um, and it actually came in first in class in 2018 in the Baja. And that was the first uh, first in class finish for a Porsche in a Baja race. Which, which is crazy. I mean, you would think that, that that would have happened a long time ago, especially with all the Beatles and stuff that are out there. And um, I, this thing is so cool because it's, it's, to me, like growing up, I was always, I, I like the adventure, I like the off-road and stuff. And I like the Porsches. I like a 959. I, I like a, you know, a supercar. But when I saw a lifted Porsche that could kind of meld those worlds, like mind blown, right? So to see it in person and see how cool it is, I just want to take it down some wash you know, just foot to the floor. Now this one has a, a 3.6 liter flat six, uh, 300 horse. And this one will do 120. I would do that in this car. Right. <laughs> it's, got the, it's got the look for speed and it seems a little more practical on a, on a car of this type. Like you said, it's been raised. The ride height's been increased by 11 inches. <laughs> That's a lot for a Porsche. Normally when we talk about trucks and 11 inches, it's our friend Jordan down at Daytona Truck Meet in Florida. And uh, he's got, you know, like, you know, 30 inch wheels or something like this. This is 11 inches and it's still lower than the Beetle that's next to Absolutely. it and uh, lower than the uh, the Nova over there, but that's hilarious. Yeah, so it's been increased by 11 inches. It also has the cut down front bumper, which improves the approach angle for steep terrain. So it's a beautiful car and it's done well. As you mentioned, uh, Porsches have done well in Dakar. Back in the mid eighties, they were winning, but this was the first time in a Baja race that a Porsche had come in first in class. So this is an exciting story 
blade vehicle. I just want to hear the horn because I imagine that it's that really cool European high-pitched horn. <laughs> you know, like, get out of my way. And everybody, what, what, what vehicle is that coming from, right? Okay, so next to it, we have a classic, and that's a Baja Bug. I mean, this is, this is the quintessential, you want to get into racing cheap. Anybody can get one of these things. Now, in my personal opinion, you're crazy for racing it. And every time I see someone, I'm like, Oh, the poor bastard. Like, why? Wh- wh- who hurt you that you want to do this to yourself? But that aside, these things are super durable and, and ultimately very cool. Um, even next to the Porsche with the uh, 11 inches of lift, this thing's still about uh, 8 to 10 inches taller than it. <laughs> yeah, this is, you can't do an off-roading show without featuring a Baja Bug. These are the quintessential desert racer, like you said. And these were one of the first vehicle types that were modified for racing. Um, they're essentially a stock Volkswagen with modified suspension and engine. You remove the fenders to accommodate larger wheels and again, cut down the front and rearmost portions of the car to help with steep terrain. Um, the cool story about this vehicle, it's owned by a husband and wife team, Ryan and Caribia by Largan. And Ryan actually learned to drive in this vehicle. It in this is, exact one. In this exact vehicle. It had, it had raced before he got his hands on it. He learned to drive in it. And then him and his wife got it back into racing shape again. And in 2017 and 18, they were coming in first in class at Baja. So this... Uh, That's so awesome. You know, good for them. I love people who are like, who have a personal history with a particular vehicle, uh, whether it was your grandfather's or you learned to drive it. I mean... I, I don't have any connection to any of those vehicles in my life. And, and in looking back, you know, I've got friends who do. And I'm like, enjoy that, right? Like, that's something super special. to So to have, you know, that bonding and that personal relationship with a machine is, is very cool. For sure. This was definitely a family affair and a labor of love for them. So we were so thrilled that they were willing to share it with us. Yeah, it's, it's, it obviously looks right at home here with all the racers. Um, this one has a 1.6 liter, uh, four-cylinder, 90 horsepower. Top speed, 85. <laughs> I don't know if I would do 85 in it. <laughs> it looks like it might struggle at the 85, but it's a tough little guy. I think they look super cool and tough. And, uh, you know. It almost has a, um, you know, a 90 degree approach angle because the right. front is so stubby. And it's just, it's just awesome. I just want to go, you know, if you ever race Baja, there's, there's some very specific noises you hear. Uh, if you've ever watched the race, the trophy trucks. Right. The motorcycles. And any time a Volkswagen engine's coming down the court, like you know, like they're just, brr, you know. You know, there comes the Baja yep. The next vehicle is probably everybody knows. It's um, 2013 Wrangler TJ. It's gold colored. It's a uh, savvy Dynatrack Fox BFG, a real deal. So if you're figuring out, is this is uh, Jesse Combs's TJ. Pretty cool that you guys have that here. Uh, we were friends with Jesse, knew Jesse. We uh, we tribute on the show, all that we recently came uh it was the anniversary of of her passing to see this is sort of an unexpected surprise to to be in the gallery yeah we definitely wanted to represent women in this exhibition as well and she obviously jesse was known as the fastest woman on four wheels and she deserves her place in this in this racing world as well this is goldie rocks her wrangler tj um, it's got the sort of modifications you'd expect to see for a vehicle that does rock crawling, does desert racing. Um, she came in first in class in 2014 at Ultra Force King of the Hammers in this vehicle. So it's got the 35-inch BF Goodrich crawler tires. It's got the beadlock wheels, obviously the Fox Racing shocks and custom suspension. But it's um, a great vehicle, a great tribute to her. 
and she was um, an important figure in the sport and we wanted to honor her in some way. No, that, that's really awesome and I think there's a lot of people out there. I mean, we all miss her um, and, you know, King of the, again, King of the Hammers is going on right now and so the fact that this isn't out there, it's in a museum, it's a little bit bittersweet. On one hand, you're, you're you know, recognizing and, and remembering her, but on the other hand, you remember the sadness because she's not out, it's not out with it's her doing what driving. it should be doing. Right, absolutely. Hopefully this will um, introduce new people to the sport. It'll get her name out there even more um, and, and hopefully show some new little girls that they can be badass and, and race their Jeeps in, in King of the Hammers and Baja, whatever, you know, their, wherever their passions take them. I love it. I love all the, A, the inspirational story, but not just of this vehicle, but of the whole gallery. So uh, where are we heading next? So next we have a section, a smaller section on off-roading for utility. Um, a lot of modifications are made to vehicles for practical purposes, such as work, um, agriculture, forestry, even driving in environments like ice and snow, you can modify a vehicle to make that more safe, to make it more um, you know, smoother sailing. And so that's what we've got going on in this utilitarian section here. So our first vehicle is a 1953 Dodge Power Wagon. It's super dramatic because it's got a Willick swivel frame. Yeah, yeah so uh, people may not know this, but obviously these trucks were intended to work. They had really stiff suspension to carry the loads. And so to get the articulation so that they could go over really rough terrain, the frame had a pivot in the middle. And the way you guys have it displayed, you've got it on blocks on opposite wheels so that you can show just how dramatic the amount of articulation could be on this. These power wagons are awesome. This is a 53, it's got the uh, pop open windshield. It's the old style, um, you know, cab with the narrow nose, something that you might see, uh, you know, Winslow bent doing, uh, you know, with his power wagon rebuilds, this would be what he would start with. This thing has an awesome winch on the front. I don't know what size it is, but it is, it's all gnarly and rusted and just looks like, you know, you look like you pull out of the museum today and head to a forest or logging road right now and it would still do its job. But this thing is beautiful. It's yellow. It's got uh, black fenders, black flat black hood, great patina on it. It just screams, you know, old work truck in a way that reminds you how tough people used to be <laughs> before we got soft with air conditioning and coil springs and all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, like you said, this thing actually did come straight from the logging forests of the Pacific Northwest, um, which is actually where the Willick swivel frame came from as well. It was invented by Harry T. Willick in the uh, mid-40s. He was from Vancouver, Canada. Um, initially, the swivel frame cost only $350 to, to get this on one of your trucks. I mean, I'd do that. $350, <laughs> bucks, no problem. That, that, seems like a, that seems like a relative bargain, although I'm sure back then it probably wasn't. Uh, but not quite as dramatic as the old FC. So 1958 Jeep FC 170. So these are the forward controls. You might remember this one from SEMA. It was built by uh, Daystar for SEMA. It's the uh, kind of like a candy lime green color with a uh, cream, grill cream top. And they've got the uh, Max Tracks installed on it right now. Um, this thing was a showstopper when it came out. These things are weird. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this is an absolutely beautiful vehicle, and it's a nice juxtaposition with this down and dirty power wagon that we've got next to it. We've got this gorgeous piece of art, really, that's that's shiny and pristine. Um, it's got the 88 series Matrax, which is a tire conversion that replaces each 
each tire with a separate rubber track system. And this really gives you increased mobility over a wide variety of terrains. So we wanted to show the type of um, mobility you could get over for agricultural purposes where you can be driving over the soil without turning things up and um, really show that although this piece is so pristine, this vehicle is so pristine, it really could get some work accomplished as well using this kind of modification. It's funny because I've had a chance to drive a couple of these and recently somebody on the interwebs decided that they were going to do a rendering of a new Jeep Wrangler but as a forward control and all everything blew up on for like a week. And people are like, oh my God, is it happening? Is this real? <laughs> and I'm like, no, you don't want it to happen. There, you know. And um, while it would be cool, no, there's not a new FC coming. But these things uh, use uh, CJ5 and I think eventually a CJ7 frame. The reason for the forward control is because with the cab over the front axle, you have more room for cargo on these short wheelbase rigs. They were great for utility uh, or, or delivery trucks in the city environment where you needed that maneuverability. Um, but let me tell you, I have had a chance to off-road these, both uh, a vintage one and uh, one that was done up, and they are about the scariest thing you'll ever take off-road. <laughs> they actually have a giant steel plate under the bed to counterbalance all of the weight from the cab so that as you go down obstacles and stuff, you know, you don't just flip over. And um, it's so unnatural because you're sitting on, your, your butt is literally on top of axle center line and your feet and pedals are out in front of it. So whatever the vehicle's doing, everything's happening behind you. And it is the most odd sensation to come off of a ledge and say Moab in one of these things, but also super cool. There's nothing like them. Um, they're just weird oddities, hard to believe they happen but they're still super cool all at the same time. They're super cool. And again, you know, anything can be modified to, to take you anywhere on any kind of terrain. So this one with the Matrax, you know, was used for farming, but you can do any kind of modification to an already four-wheel drive vehicle and make it even better suited for off-road environments. I do. I do just love these two sitting next to each other. They're just so they're just so special. I mean, the colors, the yellow yeah. and the green really play well off of each other. And they're just such two totally different vehicles and yeah. yet both utilitarian in their own way. All right. So it looks like we've got a couple uh, Land Rovers over here. Yes, so here we have our Julian Land Rovers. This section focuses on adventure and recreational off-roading and uh, modifications that people make to vehicles to make um, off-roading for fun and enjoyment uh, more comfortable or more you know even possible to access more remote locations for things like camping and hiking um, there's mudding there's green laning there's a wide variety of off-road activities that people can enjoy and you can modify basically any vehicle to get you there so that's what this section looks at with our two Land Rovers, we've got sort of the old and the new Defender. So the one on the right is a new Defender, but it's outfitted for Land Rover's Trek uh, competition, which is something that they do internally with uh, their um, sales teams and um, maintenance teams and dealerships. And they put them in teams so that you learn about the product so that not only are you knowledgeable about it, but also when you go into a dealership that those guys know what they're talking about and they get to experience and share that experience with the uh, with their customers. What's interesting about this vehicle is the one right before this was in Asheville, North Carolina at the Biltmore. And so we built a Discovery 5 exactly in the same way. And we had, a, we had the media team, our media team basically won the media class in a uh, 
in a discovery, and then this Defender competition happened about uh, four or five months after that when the Defender came out. So seeing this in uh, the Trek livery, A, I got a little bit of a, of a soft spot for it, and also a little bit of hate for it because of all the different things and competitions we had to do. The, uh, the Trek event's fascinating. Like, you start off in the morning, it's like a scavenger hunt, but you have to do like puzzles and things with the vehicle. We started off, one person had to take a boat and row out to a place, one person had to go on a mountain bike ride, one person had to go on a run to get the keys to the car, you know. And, um, you know, all these different things, like who could back up a trailer the fastest through this really gnarly course, or if you entered a circle uh, that is uh, maybe a foot longer in diameter or wider in diameter than the vehicle itself, if you entered in one side, could you turn 180 without knocking over any poles and get out? So it's, a th it's really a thing of driver skill and, and uh, puzzles and thinking and all that kind of stuff. Use winches to take a bear over a ravine and drop him into a little Land Rover car. Yeah, all sorts of weird stuff. So the track thing is really cool and seeing this here fully outfitted for that just kind of reminds me of, of being a part of that event. But What's really special is the 66 Land Rover 109. This is a Series 2A. This thing is way awesome. Yeah, so this is our 1966 Land Rover. It's outfitted with a Doramobile camper conversion, which is just phenomenal. And, you know, overlanding is such a big popular yeah. thing today. But this is You wouldn't know that overlanding happened in the 60s with rooftop tents. This has an original rooftop yeah. tent. And everything today, everybody thinks that everything's new. Yeah. And it's not. It's Th not. This has been going on for a long time. Sorry, millennials. This has <laughs> yeah. been around for a while. Um, so doormobile camper conversions were innovated by the Martin Walter Company in Kent, England. They started in 1958 and were uh, built through the mid-70s on a variety of commercial chassis that were available in the United Kingdom, including Land Rover, Volkswagen, Toyota, Bedford. Um, this one features a huge pop top, hinged uh, pop top on the top, and inside that are fold out sleeping cots. Additionally, there's a stove, a sink, and a built in wardrobe. The original owner of this vehicle actually took it from the factory in Kent, England, and drove it to Africa for a big game hunting expedition. <laughs> I love that. That, so that is awesome. Its, it has its overlanding history right there. There's nothing more overland than trekking through Africa in one of these no, beautiful I mean, vehicles. It's funny. It's an English vehicle, but the most iconic you know, imagery is of it in Africa on safari or something like that. Right, and that's what this one was used for. Uh, it's sort of an interesting color. It's not not quite a mint green it's like a, but not quite a sage either this is the series two so it has the cool like uh, metal grate over the grill hole opening it's, it hadn't it's not old enough to have some of those land rover stylized cues that came later um, this has the two headlights in between those big giant fenders that drape over the front of the vehicle it has a, uh, a spare on the hood like uh, like it should the mirrors out on the corners i mean it's such a classically ugly function first vehicle <laughs> but they literally legendary well this is awesome is this this is the uh these uh vehicles in the gallery and then there's also the two that you probably noticed when you came out front when you came into the museum yeah the parked right hummers. outside either doors right absolutely so we have those two hummers are sort of part of the utilitarian section as well they started out life as Hummer H1s, but they have been turned into diesel electric polar traverse vehicles. Say what? 
<laughs> How many times did you have to uh, practice saying that? <laughs> Diesel, electric, polar traverse vehicles. So Drive Around the World is a company that initiated their Zero South Expedition. The aim is to make it to Antarctica and back without using a single drop of fossil fuel. Wow, so that is, is a huge undertaking. An exploration, a scientific discovery. It's about sustainability, and they really overhauled these these Hummers, which are notorious gas guzzlers, so it's yeah. sort of ironic <laughs> to see them be transformed into these sustainable vehicles. But um, they also have the Matrax on them, which prevents them from sinking into the snow when they're driving over freezing yeah, terrain. Neither of those look like they're very light. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're extremely heavy. They were further uh, modified. They've got uh, Humvee hard tops on them. You know, they're they're serious. Uh, scientific vehicles that that can go out there and, and get work done. But they're both beautiful. Their names are Tuesday and Buddy One. <laughs> uh, Tuesday was built by volunteers only on Tuesdays. That's buddy funny. One is his buddy. Um, a number of celebrities are involved in the Zero South project. So is this something upcoming? When will these vehicles go actually go on um expedition I guess well so they did a 27 day test run in Alaska okay. um, and had a number of celebrities as I was saying involved in the in the building of them in the project um, Arnold Schwarzenegger of course with sure. the Hummers Dennis Quaid um, a number of, of celebrities. Buzz Aldrin was a member of the team. And so the plan to go out into Antarctica is forthcoming, but the vehicles are really spectacular and we're happy they shared them with us so people can see yet another way you can modify a vehicle to be able to get where you want to go on this planet. Yeah, I, I love the idea. I'm a, I'm a huge adventurer. I've got a Jeep. I like to go in the backcountry and disappear for you know, a week at a time if I can. And to see, you know, this feels like, you know, like-minded people. Like this is, these are, this is the gallery. Like as much as when you guys had the silver gallery, I was blown away by standing in there. Not really my jam, not my people. This one, these are my people. Right. <laughs> and, and this is a, an audience we haven't tapped in a long time. So, you know, we did do a show in 2013 on the Baja. Um, but since then, we haven't really featured anything on off-roading. And it's, you know, that's untapped potential there. That's an audience we want to speak to. We want to be the automotive museum for everyone. Sure. And that means reaching out to all different walks of automotive life and, and sparking everyone's interest. So, Well, and I would argue, too, that, you know, off-roading is just as inherent to Southern California car culture as speedsters and things like that. And, in fact, the first uh, speed test, like, say, on, you know, El Mirage were actually done off road, right? And so, right. you know, whether it's a Jeep, whether it's a, a speed, you know, land speed car or something, uh, there's so much car culture in every little corner of, of this area of the country. It's great to see that you guys are expanding the exhibits to really try and root out all those different, you know, facets of, of what we love. Absolutely. And what we're hoping is that people that come in that are, you know, novices to the off-roading world, see some things here, get some ideas of things you can do to your vehicles so that you can really go on these recreational adventures. You know, you don't have to be a, a racer. But we also hope that people that know the off-road world and know the off-road communities see the treasures here that will be special to them and speak to them that they've always wanted to see in person. All right, so you guys are hoping for possibly being reopened April timeframe. Obviously, that's fluid. 
if somebody wants to find out more about the Peterson or even uh, get in touch with you guys on social, see some of the past exhibits, where would they go? You can go to peterson.org, www.peterson.org, and check out the exhibitions that will be on view, including this one, when we reopen. We're hoping, hoping to reopen in the spring. You can follow us uh, on Instagram or join our Facebook page and stay in touch with us and uh, see when we open and you know what, what offerings we've got coming up. Well, thank you so much for my private tour today and, and helping me to bring this story uh, to our audience. Love the Peterson. I've done a lot of stuff here over the years. And anytime I come, you know, this is, it's an absolute, yeah, oh, I get to go to the Pete again? All right, let's go do it. So I appreciate your time and thanks so much for sharing this with us. Thanks so much for coming in. We hope your uh, listeners get a chance to see it in person. All right, you guys heard it. Head over to uh, peterson.org and uh, check it out. Holman, thank you for bringing the Peterson Museum alive. Appreciate that. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm going to give it five stars. Ooh, five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five. 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 Five stars. Five stars. Right back at you, brother. A little bit early. I uh, a double. Uh, you double clutched, double right clutched there. on that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, how about we uh, celebrate with some uh, five star reviews? Sure, sure. Let's do it. All right, we got this one from... Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Right back at you, brother. Oh, well done. That was pretty good. Well done. It's pretty good. It's amazing what you can do when you don't double clutch. (laughs) Hey, uh, we'll start off uh, this one that's called uh, Awesome Escape uh, for the title from uh, GA Metal Fab. So these are are reviews left on Apple Podcasts. That's right. We have uh, almost 900. Oh, go us. Yeah, keep keep going. Let's get to 1,000. I hear COVID ends and we have a party. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, He says, uh, I've had to quit listening to talk radio due to the craziness of today's world. Liked it so much, I went all the way back to the beginning. I owned a contract metal fab shop. I'm a Ford guy, 2014 F-150. 1979 Bronco, 1971 F-250 Stepside. My wife and daughter are both JK drivers. Keep up the great content. And five stars! Nice. That was a pretty nice review. I wonder what kind of uh, metal fab he does. I wonder if it's uh, structural, architectural, if it's uh, automotive. Well, maybe if he's listening, he'll uh, write in truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. All right, uh, I got this one here. This is Truck Show Awesome. Uh, love the show. That the sounds like a bumper sticker. Truck show, awesome. That's right. It's a hashtag. It's a bumper sticker. It's a t-shirt. A t-shirt. Mm. Uh, anyway, uh, love the show. The longest podcast ever. Y'all talk 15 minutes before opening the show, and then you talk for 15 minutes after closing the show. Too many squirrels running around in your heads, but I love every minute of it, and always look forward to the next episode. And that's oh, from our you. friend uh, Greg Madden. And uh, five, five stars. stars. You know what? This show, this this show right here. I think yeah. we we're close to twenty minutes before the intro, which is that's not, a, that's not, egregious. Not after you edit it. I could not rein you in today. Yeah, you're gonna have to take the uh, the knife. I'm hoping by the time uh, people are listening now, it was much shorter. You know what it is, and we complain about this a lot. So I apologize. Uh, mental barf coming nope. to your mouth. Well, yeah. So the reason of the mental barf. I think you'll go with go with me on this. Diarrhea of the mouth hole. I think you'll agree with me. Mm-hmm. Is that when we are Tired, extremely tired. In in the case of today, I'm not making any excuses for us. I I just think that we we just we, we blabber. We okay. Just, well, we, why are you blabber. talking now? Stop. Can I'm blabbering get, because I'm so this. tired. Okay. Stop, and we can get through the show. Okay. Uh, this one, light speed. And he says, uh, on point with dose star, dude. Two stars. But he gave us five, five stars. stars. So Thank cl- you, Clay JS. I don't know what's going on there, buddy. Hmm. But. uh 
All right. How about this one? Trucks? Foods? Tangents? Mm-hmm. If you enjoy listening to one of automotive journalism's greatest truck nuts talk to one of radio's biggest truck nuts about food and trucks, then this <laughs> is the show for you. And five, five stars! stars! Five star review! Five stars! And that's from our, uh, our listener, Jeepstig. So uh, thank you guys for uh, leaving those reviews. If you head over to uh, Apple Podcasts and you find the Truck Show Podcast, or if you are listening on Apple Podcasts now, please uh, take a moment and give us five stars. If you write a review, good or bad, we will read it on the air and own everything about it. Congratulations. You have earned five stars. Even if we didn't. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com is the email address. You can reach us 24 hours a day. We'll read them as fast as we can, and we regurgitate them right here on the air. Truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. The Truck Show. Oh, oh. Uh, you almost didn't make that. I almost You smashed. had so much uh, regurgitation that you, uh, you ran out of space. Smashed the post. Just uh, ran right into it, as oh, they say. Oh, man. You're not going to be able to fix that in post. It is what it is. Yeah. Hey, uh, if you want more um, uh, meaningless blather through the visual form, head on over to Instagram, where you can find uh, my man Lightning here, at LBC Lightning. Uh, you might be able to see his kitchen project or something random. I'm trying to post more C20 stuff. I'm trying to post more personal stuff. I guess just everything Stop in general. Stop blathering! We got to get through this. Go ahead. Get to Nissan. May, may I continue now? Yeah. I'm at Sean P. Holman, and we are at Truck Show Podcast. You guys know how it goes. We'd like to thank our presenting sponsor, Nissan, because they are awesome, and they have been with us for three years, and we appreciate every minute of it. Uh, if you're in the market for a uh, half-ton or half-ton-plus truck, head on down to your local Nissan dealer or build and price one at NissanUSA.com, where you can get the truck with the industry's longest warranty, five years, 100,000 miles, Zero gravity seats, Fender audio system, just a great truck. And uh, if you need something a little bit smaller, check out the Nissan Frontier. And if you need something that hauls a little bit more, check out the NV line of commercial vans. Of course, you can do all this at your local Nissan dealer. Decked! The halls with lots of deck drawers and a toolbox for your truck. Oh, wow. That was uh, some good uh, freestyle in there. My man, oh, we're going to freestyle. Oh, what if we did free? That's what we'll do next week. We freestyle ad reads. Like a rap battle, but with <laughs> our sponsors. I, I don't think that will go well, but I'm I'm down. Can we do it? Can you write? Okay, how about this? You write a rap battle. Yeah. Let's do three rap battles. Okay. Each one of us does a rap on each one of our sponsors, and then I throw it out, and then the listeners can tell us who's who did it best. <laughs> really? Yeah. But the, you're the it's writer. Like, it's like haiku on steroids. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm let's fine. do it. I'm okay with failing. Sure, I'll try. Uh, it'll be fun. Okay. It'll be fun. We'll talk about decked, and you can use buttery drawers like you always do, but you can do it in a way that's like spitting on the mic, throwing down at that's me. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll uh, lay down some you rhymes. You can take your verbal barf, and you can turn it into good. I appreciate you trying to lift me up. All right. Uh, that's your homework. So uh, in the meantime... uh. You should. I you, feel like every show you give me homework, and I don't do you any. You never of it. do any. Not of it. any of it. I the, just don't like homework. The Not, thing for you, did. the thing for you though, is I don't have a good memory, so I don't remember what I've assigned <laughs> you, and then I forget. Uh, and then some listener will uh, send us an email at truckshowpodcast at gmail com, and we will be like, huh? You know what? You're you're, you're the teacher in school that uh, like the substitute where you yeah. assign a bunch of stuff, but you don't really care if anyone you're, ever turns it you're in. You're on detention for a year, but I won't be back tomorrow, so <laughs> nobody's gonna exactly follow up. Yep. 
Well, that's not true because there's one homework assignment you did follow through with. Mm-hmm. What? And that was installing the deck system in your company truck, which you used yesterday, by the way, because I saw you pull out that buttery smooth drawer uh-huh. and pull out those boxes. And I'm using it tomorrow morning. You know what I'm doing with it tomorrow morning? I believe that you are uh, picking up a package for me. It's more than just yeah. a package. It's a pallet. You're picking it's up a, a pallet for me. Pallet full of supercharger. Right. Yes. Because you guys have to put a couple bungs in there. And I, I am told that it is heavy. I am told it's less than 2,000 pounds. So you'll well, be fine on uh, sliding that across. The I, do, I was told by the shop owner where yep. uh, you're getting it installed yep. that uh, he needed to lift it in with a forklift. So it's got to be weighty. Uh, do you need tie downs so you don't lose it on the freeway? Because I'd hate to see you lose on the 605 over those truck ruts. I do have uh, some tie downs at, at the house, so I'll, I'll be sure to use those so I don't, I don't lose it. Well, with all that weight in the back of the truck on top of the deck system, I'm going to need some new shocks for some load control. What do you, what do you recommend, Holman? Well, you head over to uh, DuraLastParts.com where you can find uh, 900 plus application specific parts available covering 98% of vehicles on the road. The uh, Duralash shocks come in either a monotube or a twin tube. And if your vehicle originally came with a twin tube, uh, they likely have a monotube upgrade for you. And of course, matches the OE design, and they are designed to improve handling, stability, braking performance, and restore vehicle to the original. And they're designed to improve handling, stability, braking performance, and restore your vehicle to its original ride quality. Head on down to your local AutoZone or DuralashParts.com. Lightning, I will pay you $100 to drop Holman's supercharger on the highway. Ooh, very enticing. Is it, though? Because I feel like this is part of your problem. You uh, see the shiny object and don't realize that the 100 bucks you're going to get from Alice is going to be about six grand back to me. Alice, I'm going to need another 5900 bucks to pull this off. You know, if that was actually going to happen, I would almost follow you with a, uh, with a camera so that we could break the internet that day. Uh, but they aren't in stock at the moment, and I think I had the last one on the shelf. Oh, really? So uh, it may be a while before we get a replacement. So how about you uh, carefully take it, have your way with it, put your bungs in there, and then you bring it back so it can go get this thing done. And, and when he says bungs, he means like actual fittings so I can put sensors in them. That would be a one-eighth MPT. Right. Thank you for the clarification. Morons. The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Motor Trend Group. This podcast was created and produced by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan of the Truck Show Podcast, we encourage you to visit and patronize our sponsors. 